Warning. The following contains bright, flashing lights, and slash or imager that may cause discomfort, and slash or seizures for those with photosensitive epilepsy. Viewer discretion is advised. So, um... We're finally here. This weird conversation we wanted to have for a while. Yeah. Uh, I have this weird memory of us, a weird one, from Portland. Uh, you and Ryan showed up to Portland to help me out with a class out there, and there was some riots going on. The Portland riots. Day 101 of the Portland riots. Day 100. Yeah. And... After the class, all of you said, like, hey, Ed, what do you want to do? You want to go smoke some cigars somewhere? You want to go to a restaurant and just chill out? What do you want to do? And I was like, I want to go to see the riots. <laughs> yeah. And then we can go smoke after. Yeah. And um, I was expecting a different reaction from you guys, but all of you were, like, pretty down to go. <laughs> so we went. Yeah. That was a... Uh, an eye-opening experience to see some of the the the, the ways that uh, the U.S. handles domestic disputes of that nature. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like people down here in Mexico are not that kind to, to people like that. But uh, it was interesting having you there for it, uh, and, yeah. and walking around and kind of seeing you turn on some of that uh, conversational social engineering aspect of you that is pretty interesting we're going to talk about a little bit more about it uh, as we go but uh for people that don't know who you are and that weren't with us uh during those protests and might not hang around with us that much um you introduce yourself yeah um i'm vince vince perez i go by way of the loser i've been hanging around with your group for Coming up on five years now? Yeah. Maybe longer? Yeah, just uh, basically uh, you come out and help out with some of the classes, and also you've been taking some of the instruction or yeah. abroad, basically. Yeah, yeah. part of the cadre. Yeah. Um, uh, I do executive protection work now, um, which I love. I came from the Marines about seven years ago. I got out. And, um, yeah, most recently we went to Ukraine, thought, uh, thought Sneak Reaper had a place in Ukraine, and turns out we did. Yeah. Um, same courses, same work, a little bit of small changes here and there. But um, we did a lot of good work out there. You, uh, Vicente, should be a tell, you know? How what? B Vicente, the name yeah. Vicente should be a tell. That's not Vince, it's yeah. Vicente. Yeah, Vince, Chente, <laughs> Chen. Uh, to my family, it's Chen. Mexican background. Yeah. Like, so, what, like what part? Like what, what part of Mexico are your parents? Mom's from, from Mexico City. Dad's born Chilango. in East LA. Yeah, uh, East LA is it's. If people need to just fucking surrender. It's Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of California is Mexico, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the way up to the Bay. Now, so your, your your dad's from East LA. Yeah. Your mom's from Mexico City, Chilanga. Yeah, we come from a, a famous family of Mexican boxers, the Leanos family. Oh shit! Um, we go back. Got a good record. Grandpa boxed. His three. His two brothers boxed. You boxed? I, I, I tried. It's not, I, tried. It's not, I have very short arms. Yeah. Very short arms. I, I do jiu-jitsu. It's yeah. better for short people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I'll throw it down. I don't mind. So uh, your your mom, your dad, your mom from Mexico City, your mom, your dad from East L.A. Yeah. How are you coming to the picture? Um, they met. So, yeah, Grandpa Box got enough money, brought his wife and his kids over. Uh, 
moved to California. And uh, she met my dad. Dad was a bad boy, as they come, riding his motorcycle, drinking beer, smoking the whole nine, and fell in love with her cooking. Yeah. From there, they, they made a baby, and that was me. What's, uh, what's your mom's dish? Chilanga dish. Man, I love her bondegas. When she makes them old school. Now she's all healthy, man. It's rough. No, no, no. You need to make them old school. Like yeah. when you say like albondigas, is it like the stew? Yep. Yeah. Albondigas with the, the soup rice. That's just great for days. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get some tortillas. You can put that on anything. Yeah. You got some tortillas to soup it in there. That's it. That's it. Damn, man. That's I, I miss that's my, my favorite dish. I miss my mom's albondigas too. Yeah. You know, that's like yeah. a, a staple of all kind of like Mexican mom yeah. meals. Even if it's a summer and it's hot outside, oh, no, anytime. If it's like fucking burning outside, doesn't matter. You go inside, you're sweating, eating stew, fucking yeah. albondigas. Yeah. <laughs> um, what part of California did you grow up in? Uh, San Jose. San Jose. Yeah, born and raised in San Jose. What was that like? It was weird, man. Like, uh, the more I go out, and the more that I I know that people know about the Bay Area, the more I see that San Jose is just a weird place. Um, I grew up, and it wasn't good to be Mexican. Which is weird in a place called San Jose. The, uh, you know, for people that don't know the predominant, uh, when you were growing up, predominantly you were not you were not in the majority. No. Back then, as a as a you know kid from two Mexican. No, parents. I stood out. Um, my parents did reasonably well for themselves, so I, I lived in a nicer neighborhood. But um, it was weird because there was not a lot of Mexicans, and uh, I went to like, I had trouble fitting in. I didn't speak very well. Um, I kind of had when, weird... When, when you say you didn't speak very well, like the, uh, you grew up with Spanish and English at your house? I grew up with Spanish and English, but it was very important for me to speak very good English. Yeah. Um, in fact, like I, I went to speech therapy. My teachers had trouble understanding w- me. Why was it important to you to speak clear English? Because they thought it would be a, a leg down. They thought it would be a disservice if I spoke Spanish, it's which is an, so ironic now. It's, it's ironic, but also like for me, I get, I get a lot of like, hey, Ed, you speak very clear English. Why is that, right? Uh, there's theories out there from the, the fact that I'm not even Mexican to, you know, I don't know. But uh, for me, when I migrated, like, I didn't have such clear spoken English. Yeah. And I've been working on it because I don't want be, to be treated differently because of an accent or because I don't speak it clearly. So it was, like, mostly that kind of attitude and thought process yeah. behind it, which is, I don't know, like Mexicans, we have this weird... And we 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 tend to overdo it sometimes, you know. Yeah. So was there some of that for you growing up? There was a that? lot of that. So I, I didn't speak any Spanish growing up because I was focused so hard on English. And then as we got older, like started realizing that Spanish was important. So I ended up going to Bolivia to <laughs> relearn Spanish because I heard they got a, a really good Spanish. So it's weird. Bol- now, Bol- Bolivian Spanish is like a textbook clear it's Spanish. So it, proper. It's so proper. It's uh, it doesn't have the Castilian uh, uh, list to it. No. It doesn't have the slang. No, no slang. It's so proper. So now I don't even fit it into the parts of Mexico I go to. I get that. Yeah. Um, so I have a weird, uh, like, Bay Area slangish, is what I call it, slangish. So I fit in a it, lot of places. And would it be like a point of contention for people? Like, you're, you're, you're a little brown kid running around Yeah, there? yeah, it was. <laughs> it was, it was a, um, you know, it was hard being a, a coconut growing it, up. Exactly. A coconut. Yeah. I've heard that. Brown on the outside, white, white on, on the, the inside. inside. Yeah, I've heard that one. That um, coconut. Because there was there was Spanish culture in my family, but yeah. everywhere else. I had no Mexican friends. No Mexican friends. Yeah. It was uh, Asian friends, white friends. That was it. Yeah. Uh, so it was weird. Um, but even like in my neighborhoods, my friends' neighborhoods, I didn't fit in. 
I'd get pulled over walking by the cops when I was younger yeah. and questioned. No and reason. What are you doing here? Yeah, what are you doing here? Uh, it's it's my day off. <laughs> no, you should be in school, shouldn't you? No, it's not a school day. <laughs> All sorts of questions. What did what did that do to you? Like, uh, you know, I I had a huge distrust. Yeah. Right off the bat. Defensive. Yeah, and I I didn't understand until I got older that I was like, oh, that was racial profiling. Yeah. I never even saw myself as Mexican. Yeah, you didn't have words for it till later on. Till later on. Yeah, the 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 whole being, I mean, being treated differently and just being kind of unique in that way. I mean, it puts you at a disadvantage in a way mentally, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, having to be sure about everything you do to not stick out aspect of it. It definitely does something for somebody growing up like that. I mean, the security aspect of it, you know. Yeah. Um, you grew up in San Jose, the only, the only bean in the pot, basically in yeah. the area. Yeah. Which is ironic because it's San Jose. I yeah. just I didn't fit in with other Mexicans. A lot of the other Mexicans in the area, it seemed, were were gang related. So this this is another aspect of like a Latin culture that I, well Mexican culture that I've been kind of learning about in in, in the U.S. Um, there's a big uh, conversation about Me about immigrants changing their attitudes mm -hmm. as soon as they cross the border. Yeah. Uh, some Mexicans assimilate. Some Mexicans don't assimilate. Yeah. They don't. They don't get the memo. You yeah. know, they want to bring. Uh, they want to bring Tepito with them when they move. Uh, but some Mexicans move up there and want to get their kids out of the conditions that they grew up in, mm -hmm. and they don't want them to get involved in gangs and 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 you know certain aspects of that negative lifestyle. Yeah. So they uh, they kind of foster kids that, uh, in a way kind of get away from their traditional uh, roots in a way because, uh, oh, you're ostracizing and separating them from their culture. Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. you get some of that basically going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a lot of that because it was any time that I was – any time two Mexicans got together in San Jose, it was a gang <laughs> at our age. Like, that's yeah. how it was seen. Um, I, would, I would walk a girl home from school some days because her brother was gang-affiliated. She was like, hey, can you walk me home? They might jump me. And I was like, yeah, I'll just – get you home next day i'd show up for school and get questioned what were you doing hanging out with them who are you with um got in a fight in the parking lot one day a dude was pushing a girl around and yeah. i stepped up and he just a regular old school fight i gave him a headbutt and he knocked me the fuck out he's so much bigger than me i had no everyone heard like that fight and they're like why him he's twice your size i was like ah. i thought i was doing what was right yeah. but um they pulled me into the office right away and they started questioning me hey who are you with um let us see your ink and I'm like, I ain't got no ink. Who was, like, who was questioning you at the office? The, the police. The police? And he's like, I know you're gang affiliated. I was like, why? He's like, you're wearing red shoes. I was wearing red Converse, man. <laughs> Just red Converse. And that was enough for them to be like, no, we know you're in a gang. We know this was a gang-related fight. If you don't tell us, you're suspended. And that was it. They suspended me for five days. Interesting. It's just weird, man. So I, it just became this weird, like, I better not hang out with Mexicans. <laughs> Probably not hang out with them. It's going to turn worse. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, that's, that's an interesting, uh, growing up in San Jose like that. Yeah. Um, what, what were you thinking about specifically? Were you thinking about a way out of that, uh, lifestyle or what you want to grow up to be? Yeah. Well, I wanted to be a doctor. Like I wanted that's to help funny. people. I always thought that was like the, the you wanted best. to be a doctor. Yeah. I wanted to that's be a, a doctor. That's a funny thing to want to grow up to yeah. be. And then what I, is it about doc? Like we've had a few people on and a lot of them went into some wild shit as yeah. far as their lifestyle, including myself. Yeah. And we all started off, started off with this 
notion or idea about being a doctor yeah. or trying to help people out that way. Yeah, well, you, you grow up thinking that doctors are good people. Yeah, and that that's a respectable job. They, they learn well, and they're needed, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. Like, why doctors? I think they're just, they carry the badge of always being able to help. I remember seeing my, I remember my mom's reaction to me saying that I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. And I think that was a lot of it as well, yeah. you know? Oh, a doctor, that's that's better than any of the other bullshit that yeah. I guess it is out there. Yeah, but then uh, I realized, you know, someone told me, well, you got to go to school for like 12 to 15 years to become a doctor. <laughs> I was like, all right. And I joined the Marines. Okay. <laughs> That uh, that dream didn't last uh, that didn't last that long. Nah, that seemed like a lot of school. It's a lot of school. Like the aspects of the Marines, where did that pop into your head? Um, I mean, they were always. So this was the other weird thing: the recruiters knowing that they were coming when they they changed when they spoke to us at the high school, and they come in, they'd be like, "Oh, you guys think you're tough? You're probably part of a gang." You should join the biggest gang on earth, United States Marine Corps. <laughs> and that was always like, ah, well, why the Marines? And the Marines were always in their good uniforms, always looking clean. And they would they that they show up at at, at school at basically. School, yeah, they show up with their pull up bar and do everything. And I was like, yeah, you want to be the baddest motherfucker? Join the Marines. Was that the sales that That's sales pitch? Pretty much it. I mean, I knew I wanted to. I didn't have a lot of direction. I hated school. Yeah. School gave me such a bad taste. I went to a pretty good high school, but they always do weird stuff. I love writing essays. I love studying. I love taking tests. I love doing it on my own. What I hated was the like, okay, you for this history project, it has to be an art project. You need to make a, you know, a, a graph using 16 different colors to show. I'm like, I'll write an essay. I'll give a speech on it. I love that all day. I'm not here to do arts and crafts. Yeah. So I didn't have enough arts and crafts in one of my history projects, and I. They didn't pass me. Actually, I didn't. I didn't graduate high school on time. Um, I had to do summer school, and yeah. then after that, I was like, "I'm never going to school again." <laughs> I joined the Marines. What year? What year did you join? I joined in 2009. 2009. What was yeah. the uh, What was the attitude or the ambiance around that time as far as joining the military? It was rough, man. Um, there wasn't a lot going on. Yeah. Right. It was it's near a, the end of it's, everything. It's, it's, it's at the tail end of uh, yeah. 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 So I joined the Marines. Did infantry. Loved it. Infantry. Infantry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is um I had a high I had a reasonably high ASVAB. I scored an eighty nine. Yeah. Um and they're like you can do anything. What do you want to do? I'll go infantry. <laughs> You're an idiot. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But at least I know I'm an idiot. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing to recognize, I guess. Yeah, I loved it. I was in trouble all the time, and it was great. It, it is. Is it the the biggest gang on the planet? Hmm, that's a hard question. Yeah, it is. It feels like I know. That. I know. I know a lot of Marines. For some reason, I'm cursed and blessed uh, yeah. with uh, having a lot of them in my life. Yeah. Uh, the the type of military and or public service that we have in Mexico and the hazing that goes on down here yeah. is legendary. Yeah. Like fucking mutilation level shit. Yeah. Or leaving somebody somewhere, you know, and without any, without anything. The only people that I can equate stuff like that to in the U.S. is usually members of the I think that's the thing. But there's this weird <laughs> mindset that comes with Marines. What is, what is it? We can fight alone. Yeah. We can also fight with any other Marine. Okay. Like, as soon as Marines see each other, yeah. there's that recognition of, yeah. like, oh, 
I know this guy's going to have my back no matter what. And now we're a nightmare. We're a bad dream. You catch us one at a time. You catch two of us, it's a nightmare. Yeah. You can drop. Uh, no, I don't think there's any other units, any other title that you can give someone that they can walk into a room together and know that they've got each other's back. And for people that have never been through that experience themselves, like walking into recruitment, walking into first day of basic, like is that, I mean, you said 2009. What was the ambiance as far as like them trying to like actually legit program you or change who you, like who you thought you were, you know, that process of breaking you down? It's, it's weird, man. I didn't. I don't feel like my experience in the Marines was similar to a lot, but I know that's what a lot of people probably say. Um, a lot of, there were a lot of young kids in boot camp, and there were kids who didn't understand that boot camp is a script. It's a really good script. Oh yeah, it'll it'll draw you in. Yeah, and it's written for a very particular reason, but it's still a script. And if you're smart enough, you can figure out that script pretty quickly. Everything happens for a reason. Nothing's left up to chance. Yeah. That's what makes it so good. That's what makes them, um, every Marine comes out very similar. Um, once you figure out that the one thing that the Marines can't control is time, you can get through it. <laughs> you can do anything, right? For If I tell you, like, hey, you got to hold this for 20 minutes, you can hold a good amount of weight for 20 minutes because you know, like, oh, 15 minutes left. 10 minutes left. But if I tell you, you got to hold this and you don't know, if you can hold it maybe 10 minutes and drop yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Doing push-ups, planks, pull-ups, anything like that. If I tell you, we got to run two miles. Okay. I can run two miles. So that's boot camp. You got to do three months. Yeah. I can't stop time. That's the, 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 the mentality of people going through that. Like also, like, the motivations that people join for. Yeah. I think that, that, that must add some sort of... Uh, I, th I think you can guess who can make it through and who can't make it through depending on what what, what they're there for, right? You got to keep your eye on the finish line. Individuality is not something rewarded there, I imagine. It's not, but it's... <laughs> I always say that, like, uh, I, I, have, I have family members who will be like, hey, Vince, you should become the CEO of a company. Uh, Marines make great CEOs. I'm like, no. There's some Marines that make great CEOs. Not every Marine is going to make a great CEO. I think whatever you are at your core... The Marine Corps brings that out of you. If you are, if you are a military man at heart yeah. and you've got patriotism running through your brains and you're Captain America, Marine Corps will make you more Captain America. If you are a piece of shit and the Marine Corps breaks you down, all they're going to find is more shit and you'll just become a bigger piece of shit if you make it through. If you're shysty, yeah. you're going to become shystier. You find a way to find these core aspects of yourself and use them. You always hear about, like, Marines, the... the the Lance Corporal Underground, that's a big one. Well, what you don't hear about is the Corporal Cartel. Okay. There's, there's another level of it. Once you get a little bit higher up and no one talks about the Corporal Cartel, they make a lot of good stuff happen. The, the Lance Corporal Underground has the numbers. But um, I met a lot of minorities like myself in the Marine Corps that figure out little ways to make it work for themselves. And we have a way of working in that gray area, staying out of trouble. What was the... Uh in there, are you thinking about what you're going to do after? I thought I was going to do 20. I thought I was a lifer. You're a li you were, you, that's your mindset in yeah. there. You're just going to be a lifer in there. Yeah, I thought I was a lifer. What did you like about it? It's I mean, everyone's to, dedic always, to dedicate 
a life to be a lifer, you have to see something in there that you're really into. I wanted to make a difference in the world. And you th- did you think it was going to be through the Marine Corps? I did it first. Um, I that the, I asked because this is like legit curious. Yeah. What 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 was it you were seeing that the Marine Corps was selling you or, or showing you that would make you think that that was going to make a difference in the world? I thought being first on the ground, the Marine Corps is always tip of the spear, first on the ground, first to fight, all these, all these great things. They're like, yeah, we'll go. And we'd get all the calls of like, hey, something's going over here, get ready. Nothing. Something's going over here, get ready. What I did love, though, was that the Marine Corps gave me a chance to work with a lot of men, boys turning into men and yeah. being able to take care of them. I saw a lot of shitty leaders in the Marines who broke men or boys, men that were on the, on the route to be something more getting broken down by bad leadership. Yeah. And um, I didn't. I wanted my guys to grow. Yeah. I wanted them to be more. And I love the Marine Corps for giving me the opportunity to work with men who went on to do great things and be great men. I miss that. Yeah. They just kept giving me, boys, you get out of boot camp, you get, and you, you got nothing. Well, you have to think about it now culturally. Where do kids or young men get to join other young men as they go through the process of turning into men? Yeah. Where, for like playing Fortnite, right? Yeah, college, <laughs> co- co- college, yeah. maybe college where they can't say certain words in certain places. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting aspect of the the whole amputation of that uh, men being men and figuring shit out in 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 that type of setting is right now. I don't in the United States where is it available? Yeah. Uh, the Marine the Marine Corps, <laughs> which is a you know, it's a to join and 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 uh, and give your life to that, yeah. It's an interesting aspect of what is missing and what you don't see a lot in in, in people now. Yeah, you know? I imagine recruitment is probably pretty down right now. I, I heard they were off. they've been recruiting off like TikTok and um, Instagram, yeah, yeah. and uh, even video games. Yeah, and people and people are. I mean, the pool of people that are eligible just physically for it is. Standards are changing. Standards are changing. And they shouldn't. So you you uh, you have this idea of changing things positively. Well, I I would tell my Marines because they'd be like, uh, I I'm like you got a sphere of influence. If you want to change something, you want to influence something. You got a sphere of influence. How big is your sphere of influence? And they'd be like, I I don't know, Sergeant Perez. They're like stick your arms out, spin around in a circle. <laughs> Look like a fucking <laughs> helicopter. Stick your hands up and stick them down. That's your sphere of influence. Whatever you can touch is your sphere of influence. If you want to change something, you need to be close enough to touch it. It's the only way you actually affect change. I wasn't a yeller. That was something that the Marine, some of the Marine leaders, they, you never yell, Perez. I didn't believe in it. I don't think it's useful. You know, If I'm yelling, people are dying. It's the only good reason to yell. right? Otherwise, if, if we got a problem, we got something going on, come over, whisper it in my ear. Come talk to me. Yeah. Let's figure this out. We're men. I want to train them. I want to raise my Marines to be good men. It wasn't enough to be good Marines. There's a next level to that. And it was like, what, when you die, and they put it on your gravestone, what do you want to be known for? Oh, he was a good soldier. He was a good Marine. He was a good man. He was a good father. That, good husband. That leadership style. Is, yeah. Was it something you learned by somebody watching somebody else? Um, my father. I had a yeah. really good father. He, uh, he always asked a lot of questions, and there was no doubt in anyone's mind that he was a good man. Yeah. I wanted to live like that. Quiet correction. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't a yeller. Yeah. 
Um, he just I, showed I, me. I remember somebody, somebody that I, one of my first like team leaders, uh, uh, pulled me aside and corrected me. Yeah. Like, in a, and it fucking hurt more. Yeah. That if he were to, to have screamed in front of me, and I, yeah. uh, correction always in private. Yeah. Is what he said. We used to say, and I remember I took that as a lesson later on when I had people underneath me that yeah. I need to kind of manage. Yeah. Uh, and I read a lot books. Books are amazing forms of leadership in there. Books and movies. Books I, and movies. I would pick. I, I grew up watching what, what movies. Was your, what was your uh, go-to book as far as leadership? You ever read Ender's Game? Yeah, I actually have read Ender's Game, yes. So Ender's Game is good. Not the movie. Not the, the movie. Not the movie. The book. Not the movie. But there's a follow-along series called Ender's Shadow. Okay. Ender's Shadow is about one of Ender's friends, and it's a parallel novel named Bean. Okay. Bean is a super interesting character, and he is a great leader. He has like a, a five-story arc that he worked very well with men, and he, he had rules when it came to leading men and picking which missions he went on and which ones he didn't. He never took a mission if he thought he might lose somebody, and he needed his men to trust him without anything else. And how do you build that trust? You talk to them, you communicate with them, and you treat them like men. I never understood treating someone under you like anything less than what they are. Yeah. Which is a man. What do you want? What are you raising? Are you raising dogs? Are you raising pigs? Are you raising cattle? Well, that's the thing. Are you uh, raising men. That's the thing. Some people do have the aspect of the, you know, in certain military, you know, in training circles that you aren't raising dogs of war, right? Like I was, I was put through that myself and I was treated like an animal because yeah. that's what they wanted. They wanted a fucking animal. You know? Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the humanizing people in that way. It's a double-edged sword specifically in some of those uh, groups of people where there's different type styles and people that believe different things. Yeah. It must, it, it's never easy being in a leadership position when you have a style like that. Yeah. Um, you have this career in your mind, 20 years, lifer, career yeah. there. Uh, what changes as you, as, you, as you go through that experience to, uh, you know, to make you think about other stuff? Yeah, you know, what changes all men? I, I thought I was in love. Oh, no. I met a woman. I know. Oh, I, no. I met a woman, and I thought it came down to... How old were you? Oh, man. I mean, I met her when I was... 19. Oh, no. This, yeah. these are, this, is, these are, this is wrong. All of it's bad. Got married, Red flag. Got married young. Same story as all the Marines. Oh, got no. married young. And then right around that time when they're like, well, you can sign up for another five, uh, things were on the rocks. And I was like, yeah, do I want to be known for being a good Marine? Do I want to be known for being a good husband? Do I choose my career? Do I choose love? I always over-romanticize what was, everything. What was her uh, influence? She, did you want she was already it? checked out. She, it was it was my decision. She she was gone. She was already checked out. She was gone. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? When you say she was gone, was she just detached? She was detached. Yeah. She was she was doing her thing. And in your mind, you're like, I'm gonna leave this for you, and you're, all the shit I'm gonna do. In my mind, like, figure it out. I'm gonna fix everything by just leaving this dream behind. I knew if I stayed, I had zero chance. Of what? Of fixing my marriage. And I knew if I. And in my mind, if I left, then I had a small chance. Of saving it. I don't need easy. I just need possible. I'm like, there's no way if I stay in, it'll work. Yeah. But there's a chance if I get out, it will. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I fought so hard because I know for me, like getting married, like you make a vow, yeah, not just to the other person, but to yourself. Oh, but I ask you this because uh, you probably you're probably taking some of the influence that you learned from your parents. So yeah. You're not gonna fucking give up. Yeah. Right? No, we no. stick with it. You stick with yeah, it. Yeah, the Marines, my parents, whoever. Like the whole thing was like, you don't give up. Yeah. If there's still a chance you might succeed, you go for that chance. But she didn't think like that. No. <laughs> nah, she, yeah, it takes two to tango, right? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> I mean, the lessons learned, dude. Yeah. Lessons learned. And that's the thing. Like the big thing for me is I stay true to myself. Yeah. Like I, what kind of man did I want to be? I want to be the man that follows his heart. And that's that's what I did. I followed my heart. And it. Fucked me up. <laughs> it was wrong. The heart was wrong. You uh, you say, you know what? This I mean, it can't be a life where I'm gonna try and save this thing. Yeah. This is the this is how it's supposed to be done. This yeah. is how I learned from my parents to fight for shit. Yeah. And I made a vow. Yeah. And Even if she doesn't keep her vows, I can keep mine. And you got out. Yeah. What'd you do? What what, what did you uh, get out? I was so fucking lost when I got out. What? Like I mean, for me, I, I, I get, yeah. I, I've I've experienced. A regimented life. Yeah. I've experienced regimented life, bitching about it while you're inside and then being out of it and just like suffering that, yeah. that, that there's no structure to anything. Bro, I got out and I was sleeping on the couch because I couldn't sleep on the bed. I didn't think I was worth a fucking bed anymore. Um, I moved back into my parents' place because I had no plan. Yeah. I was just like, I'll get out, I'll figure it out. I, dude, I ended up walking dogs. For like a year, I was a rover. Like how, how, dogs. how old were you when you were walking dogs? Twenty five. You're twenty five year old yeah. walking out of the fucking the Marines, trying to you were you were running around fucking being a leader and all this shit, and all of a sudden you're just walking dogs. Well, you get out, you move back home, and you realize no one really fucking like, like cares. cares. Yeah, nobody gives a shit about yeah. it. You're not wearing your your experience. So yeah. There's no way nobody tra- would know. Yeah. Is that the reason why a lot of people that uh, get out of the military have all this regalia on them so people know? I think so. So, I so think that people it is. can get some recognition? I, I think it is. Um, I, I get this a lot where I meet people and then they find out I'm a Marine and they're like, oh, we like you carry yourself well, but we had no idea you were a Marine. You don't wear it. Right? And, because um, you don't wear it. Yeah, and, and I talk back, I, I, and they're like, oh, well, my, my brother's a Marine, and he like, first thing, yeah. how do you know someone's a Marine? They'll tell you. They'll tell you. you know? But... um. I, I tell people, I'm like, look, I like to think that a lot of people get out and they let their time in the Marine Corps define them. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm a Marine veteran or like I, this and, and they wear the, 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 the regalia, the, the hat, the, yeah. the, the, they wear the, the, I don't know, they put the stuff on their back. Yeah, the flag and everything else. And I, like, I, like yeah. it's, for me, it's curious. So for me, I like to think that I define the Marine Corps by my time in. I made the Marine Corps a better place while I was there. I did the work in the Marine Corps for the years I was in was a stronger Marine Corps. And now I'm out. And the Marine Corps doesn't remember me. No. And I don't remember the Marine Corps. Yeah. It's over. Okay. That, that chapter is over. I don't want to die thinking that being a U.S. Marine was the best thing I ever yeah. did in my life. There's more. I want to be known for more. Yeah. That chapter was a leg up. It helped. But there's going to be more that I do in my life than just be a Marine. Yeah. It, but, well, that, you, you can say that now, but you're a walking dog. Right? <laughs> I was walking dogs. <laughs> you're walking dogs yeah. trying to figure shit out. Yeah, picking up other people's dog shit. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it's work. 
Yeah, and I didn't have to deal with people. That was the thing. I was, I was people out. Yeah, you were just fucking walking around with the, you know, fucking angels in disguise and the yeah. form of dogs walking around. Yeah, I got the police called on me a couple times. I ended up being 25-year-old dog walker is better than being an 18-year-old dog walker to people. <laughs> so I got, like, good jobs, good rich dogs that were eating and working better than I was. And uh, police would get called on. I show up on my Harley to people's houses, nice houses, and uh, get the cops called. Guns pulled on me. And people, it's my dog walker. Leave him alone. I'll be like, sorry, guys. Just trying to do my job. You, you how long is this process of you getting out of the, 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 what you said about done? Why didn't you think you, uh, you were worthy of the bed? It's the thing, man. Like, bed is such a comfort. Anyone mm. who, who hasn't slept on a bed for a long period of time, it's such a comfort. And sometimes we get scared of being comfortable, yeah. especially when we've been living so uncomfortably and we think we don't deserve it. Yeah. I didn't think I deserved to be comfortable. I, we've, 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 uh, we've crashed in multiple bodies in, uh, in hotel rooms across yeah. the country a yeah. few times. Yeah. And I like taking the floor. Yeah, you do. And people ask me if it's um, for security reasons or if it's... Uh, some sort of trauma of some sort. It's and it's legit that I I never considered myself as somebody that deserved the bed. Yeah. So I just fucking sleep on the ground. I get that, man. That's it. I don't know. It, it, I'm working through it myself. I was these, scared of the bedroom. Like yeah. that's what it was. Like it's supposed to be such a sign. It was. It kept telling me I failed. Yeah. I failed as a marine it, at the time. I thought I had failed as a marine because I I gave up. I left. And then I felt like I failed as a husband because I lost my marriage. Yeah, and it just—it's—it's—it's a—it's a cascading effect. Yeah, yeah. The that failure aspect. I mean, you for people who've never had a marriage fail. Yeah, <laughs> I have. Yeah. Uh, the I I I I was in that relationship and I was like putting in some effort and trying to figure out how to save something that was on the other end not savable and it was like and that that aspect to men and specifically men that have grown up in a household where there's the mother and the father yeah and they have seen them survive shit that is beyond any of the stuff that you've just experienced with your significant other yeah uh there's a weird sadness in that for men like us where you're just like oh shit like that's, this is what I'm supposed to I'm, I'm supposed to save everything and all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And you're also dog walking. Well, it's this idea, right? That like if I work hard enough, yeah, I can do anything. I'll I'll, I'll deserve it and I yeah. will be rewarded. Yeah. If I can work hard enough, it'll work out. And then it does it. Yeah. Sometimes life sucks and then you just keep living. Well, this is this is the reality of being a dude. Yeah. You know? We are loved conditionally. Yeah. <laughs> Is is the is the whole fucking tag there? Yeah. Um, undeserving of a bed, dog walking, getting yeah. cops called on you. Yeah. What's your plan? Twenty five. You know, I failed um, marriage. Man, you, you're just this is this is castaway shit. Like, what do you do now? You know, I was just a lost soul walking around, and people started finding me. I found a, a security company sought me out and brought me in, and I just started working night shifts. Started working. What, did, what, did, what, what, what are they looking specifically at you for? Just, oh, you're, you're a veteran. 
is, is, is that the aspect of you being a veteran and being a veteran general in the U.S. like something that, oh, it Work means security. that you at least can take direction and you don't, and you're, and you're Show not. Show up on time. Yeah. Yeah. So I was working a night shift at like, uh, it was at the time when all the new marijuana pop-ups needed security on site 24-7. Okay. okay. Um, that was becoming big in the Bay Area right around 2015. Um, so we, I worked at a lot of weed clubs. I don't smoke weed, man. Yeah. Um, I never have. It's not really my thing. And um, I would get massive headaches because I had no um, no tolerance. No tolerance. So just, just being uh, around it, it just messed me up. Yeah. I, so on top of that, I would get home and fall asleep on my couch feeling like shit. But eventually I stuck with it and I became operations manager for this small company just because I wasn't an idiot. And yeah. I didn't have anything else. So I and was, you had a little, little, little bit of formation through the United States Marine Corps. My, uh, yeah, my ship was just listing into whatever port it, it hit. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm here now. Yeah. And uh, eventually, I mean, well, I started going to therapy. That was a big thing. Therapy. Therapy. I know. Dude, no, that sucks. I don't want to go <laughs> fucking talk to anybody about my shit that's going on. That's, right? That's weak shit. Have one dude just staring at me from across the room for I don't an want hour. people to think I'm a fucking insane person. Why would I go to therapy? <sighs> therapy was one of the best things, man. I know. What What brought you to the decision? The decision? You know what? I'm going to go talk to somebody with my uh, about my problem. Was it like something you came up with or did somebody just no, say, no. It was, you should probably fuck I mean, I've had lots of people tell me I was need therapy. an intervention of some sort? Yeah. No, I had lots of people. I tried therapy before, but it was like, oh, I'm not getting to a point where I've done everything that I think I can do. Yeah. So someone else must have an idea of like... Well, that's, that's, a, that's the thing. When you get into a, like a life crisis like that, yeah. where like for me it was... Um, I'm going to not drink anymore, and that's going to solve everything. <laughs> it did not. Yeah, it, it made everything yeah. worse. Um, uh, I'm going to exercise and be healthier and eat healthier. That's probably going to make me feel okay, right? That's what all these guys online say. And then you're like, hey, shit, I still feel kind of sad. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, I need a better blueprint. Uh I think a lot of a big thing for a lot of people that want to approach therapy in any way, shape, or form is that we immediately judge the therapist in front of us. You're like, "What are you gonna know about my bullshit?" Yeah, you know, what what, what would you know? You know, because we're I don't know. We, we come from a culture that measures in that way, and also as men, we are we have a social violent component to some of the some of the. Uh, some our personality. We so, won't open up to somebody that, you know, I don't know. Like, so, for me, it was like a weird block, a mental block that I couldn't open up with somebody that I knew wouldn't have my back in a fight or some shit like that, you know? <laughs> See, I was the opposite. Were you? I've been around hard men my whole life, you know? That's how we grew up. That's, how, that's all we knew. Hard men. Hard, being a harder man wasn't the answer. So I specifically, because I, I, some of my friends are therapists, and I'm like, I need a therapist. Find me someone. Like, help me find the right guy. And um, they're like, well, what do you need? And I was like, I don't want a military therapist. I don't want someone military in their background. I don't want someone who's like, oh, I specialize in combat vets and PTSD and all this stuff. I don't want that. You don't want anything. I want a civilian. Because I, I want to be a better civilian. Find me a good man yeah. that I can talk to on a regular basis. Because my big thing was like, is this normal? That's the big one. Is what I'm thinking normal? Yeah. If I want to be a good human being, if I want to be a good man, being a Marine can be part of that, but it can't be the main aspect. 
So I found a dude, and thank God, um, I had the most amazing therapist. Um, I needed this guy, and he realized that I filter to filter. I filter a lot of my experiences through movies. Okay. So a lot of times when things happen, where did uh, our mind immediately goes into? Where did I see this before, and what did I do last time? If we hadn't seen it before, where have I seen this period? Yeah. And so a lot of it comes down to movies. So thank God my therapist looked like Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. Okay. And he picked up on that because yeah. we talked about it. I was like, why? Is it? Oh, I'm I'm filtering this experience through Goodwill Hunting. This is this is the uh, file folder that file folder that I have that's sim that's similar to this experience right yeah. now. So this is what I'm going to use. And it's like what it. I think a therapist th could look like, and yeah. because of that, I feel comfortable. And I can talk to. So he would dress up a little. Like I, he started wearing more sweaters. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Let's wear some sweaters and the, yeah. This else. And he's like, What do you What do you want? It's like I want to be a good man. All right. And we defined that. And we got there. And he realized that well, I was. What's your definition of a good man? I came up with a with a small. Everywhere I go, everyone is safer because I am there. You're an asset. Everywhere I go, anyone in need has a friend. And every time I go home, everyone is happy I am there. That's it. Three rules. That's that's a pretty good definition of that. That's it. Three rules. Wherever I go, everyone is safer. Yeah. If there's danger, I'll help. If someone's hurt, I'll help. Anyone in need has a friend. It's it's rough being lonely, man. It We've is. all been there. Oh yeah. It's 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 a, it's, a, it's it's very lonely to be that way. And we meet a lot of lonely guys. And I wanted to be able to always be a friend. That's always at the. How can I be a friend to this person? Yeah, I don't want. I'm not one of those guys that walk into a room and sees threats. I walk into this room and see how can, how can I make these guys like me and be my friend. Not in a like, oh, like me, yeah. but like, I want everyone here to like me so that when they remember, they're like, hey, Vince was a good guy. Yeah, you can talk to him. He's not an asshole, even though a lot of people they see me they're like that guy's an that asshole. That guy's an asshole, and that's okay. <laughs> I can't change the way I look. Yeah, but I can control the way I act. Yeah. Yeah, you can't control the intro, but the outro is all you. And then the big thing is every time I go home, everyone's happy. My family's happy when I'm home. Um, my friends are happy that I'm going home. And they see that and they're like, oh, Vince is home. Good. Yeah. Everyone's happy. I am there. That's, um, a, that's a good definition. Um, therapy. It's not a lot of people like talking about that shit. And it's a, it's a, it's a thing that it's kind of... I see a lot of people struggling with stuff. I have talked about some of my own issues openly, which has led for me to receive a lot of people asking questions about that type of stuff, and I'm not a therapist. Yeah. But, uh, like, for you, you uh, define what a good man was. You basically went to therapy to point towards the direction of where yeah. you wanted to go. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What were the obstacles to get there? It's all myself. Yeah, I had all these... I had all these other ideas of who Vince was going to be. Yeah. I was going to be a writer. I was going to be this. I was going to do this. And I had to put those to sleep. I had to put them to bed and be like, okay, it's no longer this. I need one. I had, I felt I was a triangle getting pulled in all sorts of directions. How people saw me, who I was, and who I wanted to be. Yeah. And the biggest problem was that people saw me a certain way, and I was trying to be that to them. Yeah to all these people who saw me. And then I was trying to be who I was. And then there was who I actually was. And, um, and my therapist had these three triangles. And they was showing me pulled in all directions. And it was bringing it close together so that it was a small triangle and there was only one Vince. That I could be who I wanted to be. 
who I actually was and how people saw me all one that all needed to be the same Vince. Yeah. And once that clicked into place, it was right when you met me or it was right when you helped me come up with, we were in that hotel room and you're like, you need a name. Who, who are you going to be? Yeah. You need, you need, you need a, you need a, yeah, you need a, a tagline and a moniker. We came up with way of the loser. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That was it. Way of the loser was born there. That helped click everything into place. And I was like, it's, it's here. This is who I am. This uh, the this aspect of trying to figure out who you are specifically in the public eye. For like for me, it's been people know me for different reasons, right? Yeah. Some people know me for my memes. You know, I have a lot of people that are really fans of those horrible videos that I post up every now and yeah. then. Uh, some people know me for some of the interviews that I've had. Some people who trained with me. Uh, some people have been following me since I was active in Mexico, and they would see some of the weird shit that I would post mm-hmm. up. Everybody has a weird, really weird, different aspect of me, which is weird for some of us. Trying to figure out what of that is me and what of that is something that is completely not me, you know. Um, the, the coming up with a name, Way of the Loser, yeah. which is, you know, it's an interesting name. You know, for me, I mean, it was Ed, Ed's Manifesto, and it has different meanings for different people with Real, realistically, it is uh, NSW guy making fun of the fact that I was always writing around, writing uh, handwritten notes on my little notepad. Yeah. Like, what are you writing in your little manifesto? Yeah. Right? It's also the fact that that, uh, that has allowed me to manifest change for people. You know, uh, Either people going through sobriety right now, there's a bunch of people going through sobriety kind of following along with me, kind of celebrating uh, that aspect of it. To people starting their own businesses uh, through things that I've helped them out with, um, through people getting over shit, yeah. you know, which is a big aspect of it. Just getting over trauma, I think, is at the core of a lot of the stuff that I, I put out. And you came up with Way of the Loser yeah. as yours. Can you explain what that name is to yeah. you and like why Way of the Loser? Of course, man. I mean, just like anything, there's always layers to it. Yeah. But the, I was. I was tired of always seeing alpha this and alpha that. Yeah, all I do is win. All I do is win. (laughs) Everywhere I go, I'm the best. Wake up at 2 in the morning. I can't do that, dude. Roll this weight around. No, none of that? I needed needed a place for... Extreme. I needed a place for everyone else, for what I actually felt like, which 90% of the time I feel like a loser. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, Because... I think, I think I'm a product of my losses. I grow through loss. Yeah. Um, every time I've won a jujitsu match, it's it's cool. Like I win, and it's like, oh yeah. endorphins. That armbar worked. But there's no growth though. Every time I lose. Yeah. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm online. I'm research. How do I not lose like that again? I am only better at jujitsu because I've lost. Hundreds of times. I, I never back down. I'm just like, yeah, let's keep going. Let's fight. Let's the, go until the, I lose the, again. The physical investment in yeah. loss. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, um, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. It's what I loved about your courses. We pushed people to the point of failure. Yeah. There's no like, oh, good job. Here's your welcome trophy. It's like, you're going to suck. Yeah, it's going to suck. You're going to change. But uh, enlightenment is a destructive process. Yeah. It's not, it's not about being 
better or feeling good yeah. or shit like that. No, it's, I hated people being dismissive yeah. of losing. Like, yeah. I can't lose. That competitive mindset, yeah. it's a disservice to yourself. And then on top of that, there's, there's another level to it of, of losing the things that don't matter. Yeah. Losing that ego. Losing the, the bad thoughts. Losing all those things until you, there's nothing left except yourself. And that, at my core, is very important. A lot of people are afraid of death. Yeah, like I've all, I like, you know, that's there's, I know for a fact that there's worse things out there than death. Yeah, but uh, people don't want to fail or freak out with the aspect of failure. Or yeah. right now, culturally, I think in the U.S. we have this whole aspect of right and left politics, and you'll see on the left participation trophies mm -hmm. and on the right you'll see or you win or you die which are both extremes yeah. you know they're both extremes and we have you know people on the left and the right you know we have uh you know people that will you know give participation trophies and, yeah. and everybody's a first place winner and yeah. on the right we have people that uh, wake up at two in the morning and run for like four days and and, and crush everything and if yeah. you can't do that you are losing I am and not you should, one of those guys. You should die. Yeah. Um, extremes. Yeah. These are two extremes. Um, uh, Buddha would talk about a middle ground or a middle road. Yeah. You know, basically finding a place where it balances both of these things, you know, asceticism and just fucking letting yourself, letting everything hang out, basically, you know. Yeah. But uh, way of the loser. What is the way of the loser? Let it go. <laughs> Let it, lose it, lose it all. Lose it all. Lose it all. Lose it. Lose it all. When you say lose it all, I mean, in a vision, uh, being afraid to to figure things out for yourself. Anything uh, holding you back? Even, I don't want to go into jujitsu competition because I don't want to lose. Right. Or like, um, oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta do this first. Let that go too. Just go, go with whatever you got. Um, even, well, you know, I I could win this fight if I had my knife, or if I had my gun, or if I had this. And I can lose that too. Lose those thoughts. If if uh, if if I if I see something and I dismiss it dismiss it immediately as something that uh, I don't want to do, uh, you'll see, I'll see this with shooters. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't I don't like uh, I don't I don't like doing competition shooting because that's not how I would fight. Yeah. No, you don't like doing that because you're gonna lose and you don't want to lose and it's, they're gonna be pushed and people are gonna test yeah. you and you don't like that. No. Because you don't want you don't want to die on a training field. You're you're afraid your ego is gonna get hurt. Yeah. Just go. Try new things. Even if you're gonna be bad at it, you never know when you might find that thing. Yeah. That works for you, or cool, or yeah. it works with something else. Go and lose. It's okay yeah. to go out into the world and be a loser. In my in my kind of like journey, I am about experience. Yeah. So uh, people. Every now and then, come at me and they try and figure out what I'm into. Like, what's you like? What are you into? Are you into cars? Are you into this? Are you into that? Yeah. And like for me, uh, I have this moment where I was in uh, I was in Detroit, and they were like, "Hey, you want to go out to eat somewhere? Like, there's there's some gentrified parts of Detroit now. There's some pretty interesting places to go eat there." I was like, no, I want to, I want to do a ride along. I want to go and see what Detroit is like at night in yeah. the bad part. Yeah. Like, why? Why would you want to do that? Because I'm gonna have that experience, and I'm gonna take that experience with me for the rest for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that meal is gonna be probably nice, and we are gonna talk about some shit. It's probably gonna kind of cool memory, 
But the experience of the fact that I just went through this night with you guys out here, I think that is more valuable than anything. But what if something happens? Then it's going to be a very cool story later on, you know? Yeah. But, you know, people don't want to, people don't want to risk. Yeah. Which is, and when I say people don't want to risk, it's not like a theory. I mean, you saw what happened during COVID and everybody was wearing masks that yeah. don't work, you know? Yeah. There's the, uh, the fear of just the, can't risk anything. Yeah. Fuck it, let's cover up. Yeah. So Wave the Loser is risking it, letting go of the ego. Just go. And just go. Just go. Um, well, the first rule of chess, you only get smarter by playing a smarter opponent. You want to get better at something, you're going to have to lose. You're going to have to suck it at first. I'm not natural at anything. Yeah. I have to work my ass off. Yeah. But I have to go. So I seek out people who are better than me. If It's the whole thing of, like, if, if you're the best person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. I want to be the worst person <laughs> in the room. I want everyone to be smarter than me. If I'm trying to learn a new skill, yeah. I want everyone that I go up against to know all the tricks I don't know. You you have a tendency to, like, and I've seen you, like, even, like, I remember we, we did this class somewhere, I think it was Connecticut, and you not only went around to see what other people were doing, but you also were looking at how other people failed, mm-hmm. you know, which is another aspect of living that way. Uh, you can you can laugh at the dude slipping on the banana peel in front of you, but if you're sleeping on the same one, then you should you know reconsider your life choices or how you kind of go about the world. Uh, the only thing better than firsthand experience is secondhand experience. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to experience everything. I can't yeah. experience everything. But, but how can you experience things secondhand if the people around you are not talk to people, shit, yeah. read about it, seek it out. The the social engineering aspect of some of the stuff you do yeah. and conversational stuff and being there for people uh what what part of that is in there for the way of the loser it's hard to say man um i the reason why on my design i went with the cowboy the yeah. lone cowboy just walks into town with with nothing a nameless this, cowboy with a with a poncho yeah um it's how i love walking into new places as a stranger yeah you don't need to carry Blank anything slate. yeah if you can blend in Places have a way of taking care of people who take care of it. Yeah, the, the world, the world's a very friendly place if you're smart enough yeah. to talk to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so many places that are locals only in this. How do you become a local? Yeah. Talk to locals. Do what locals do. Watch them. Blend in. The more you blend in, the better it gets. I don't know anything about sports. The sports are big. So the first person I talk to, I go in knowing nothing. And they'll be like, oh, that last game, that... That new QB is kind of, kind of crappy. He threw bad in the third quarter. The next person I talk to, hey, what do you think of that new QB? Throws kind of crappy in the third quarter. I'll be like, ah, oh, well, he, when he played with this team. And then I take that, I put it in my pocket, and I go. I keep having a conversation with more people until I can go into any sports bar for that week and have a good conversation and sound like I know sports. Yeah. You know, no, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. I want to be left alone. I want everyone to know. I want every, or I want I'm the sheep dog. I want the sheep dog, you know, or look at me. Yeah. Uh, I'm the alpha. Yeah. This word alpha, which is something I hear a lot in the U.S. Like, I don't, I don't, I've never understood the concept of it yeah. differently, you know. Down here for leadership, uh, we would have to cook a meal for all of our men or else we wouldn't pass a leadership exam. Like, alpha down here, where it's, it means it's a different thing. It's more about service and sacrifice, basically. Yeah. Well, that's how you get people to trust you. Yeah, like this motherfucker can do everything we do, and he's staying longer. Yeah. 
So now you have authority. That's what gives you authority. Yeah. You know, uh, but you... You uh, go through this uh, journey trying to figure yourself out. You uh, you start getting involved in security work. Yep. Uh, we meet out there in a weird fucking training uh, engagement somewhere. Uh, we brainstorm. You you come up with this moniker that you're kind of kind of trying to figure out. Yeah. Um, EP. Yeah, it's weird, man. I fell into EP. Like I literally tripped and fell into EP. I applied on LinkedIn to a job. Just through LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Let's let's figure let's figure LinkedIn out. Bro, I was so unqualified. I was so unqualified. When you say you're so unqualified, what what did you expect that they were looking for? Like, they said they wanted five years experience doing EP work, all these things. So when they called me up, yeah. they're like, "Hey, uh, we want to do an interview with you." I thought it, I was like, Are "You sure? Do you have my resume in front of you?" <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is a mistake. You see that I don't have any EP experience. And they're like, that's exactly what we want. Okay. We're tired of EP guys coming in, being like, I know the best way to do things. I know this, I know that. They're like, we want to bring someone new in who is ready to learn exactly how we do it and we'll do it our way without asking dumb questions. With, uh, well, without uh, trying to you know, put forth their way of doing things to something that's already established. Right. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm here to learn. So yeah. I interviewed the big interview question that they, they came up and they asked, they're like, when have you been in a violent situation? How did you respond? And I talked to them. It's a long story, but I basically talked about a dude who was having a bad day, wanted to kill me and do all this bad thing while I was working security in downtown Palo Alto. He wanted to fight and, yeah. you know, said yeah. he had a gun and all this stuff. And I was like, hey, you're having a bad day. You mind if I sit down? Because he was sitting on the edge of a truck bed. And he's like, what? Like, Can I sit? I got all this body armor on. Like, we got to wait for the police to show up anyway. You mind if I sit? I already called the police. You know? And he's like, yeah. So I sat down. And as soon as I sat down, he started crying. Yeah. His wife left, took the kids. He had nothing. And he just was having a bad fucking night. And I was like, dude, who can we call? Who can we come, come get you? If you're gone before the police get here, you're gone. Never here. Yeah. And so we did, he, I, he gave me his phone. I called his brother, come right now. He was there in five minutes, picked him up, took him home. De-escalation. I, I kept my word. Yeah, de-escalation. I kept my word. He was my best friend. Any night I was working, I had no trouble. He would come out. He was a, a leader in the area. Yeah. Hey, don't fuck with the security guard. He's just doing his job. Go back inside. You know, all this good stuff. Because people try to fight me. That was a hard question that they asked. Dude, the dude, his chin dropped open. The guy interviewing me. And he's like, what? What? And I was like, the end. And he's like... Oh, I've done this interview question a hundred times. And it's always like G.I. Joe, Rise Everyone of Cobra. Everyone gives me war stories, <laughs> kicking in doors. And doing this, I was like, well, what are you paying me for? Because I got those stories too. Yeah. But I don't think you're paying me to be a violent person. No. I mean, if, if you're an EP, a professional is somebody that arrives home and nothing happened. And nobody, you, don't, you don't need to be thanked for anything because nothing happened. That's, that's the role. Yeah. The goal is for everyone to go home at night. And to be boring. Yeah. So that's how I got the job. Uh, it also helped. I was the only EMT that applied. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a big one. Uh, for, and for a lot of people listening to this that are in the EP field or they want to go into the EP field, that's a, that's a pretty valuable skill set to have as somebody that is going to be valued on the team. You it's know? a lot harder to go to EMT school and pass to the National Registry than it is to take a weekend shooting course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So that tells, even now, what we look for is EMTs because it lets us know, hey, this dude can sit in a classroom for 12 hours, Yeah. take a test, retain information, go pass a national test. That's the kind of person I want with me rather than... Johnny Gunslinger, who can shoot a target at 150 yards with a pistol. I went through the experience of going from an operational group and doing shit that, you know, in the night, you know, that type of stuff, to yeah. the going into EP, uh, high level. Yeah. Like, it was from going to kicking doors down to all of a sudden being next to the head of the National mm-hmm. Security Council in yeah. Mexico, yeah. right? And the... I remember seeing the types of people that were there that were brought on. They were really big guys. Some of them were violently capable. Some of them weren't. You know, there, there was people all over the place. Uh, in, at the end of it, I, through the Red Cross, I made probably eight of them uh, paramedics. Yeah. And I gave, awesome. them the ch- I gave them the opportunity chance. A few of them uh, turned lawyers inside, and a few psychologists came out of that uh, as well. But uh, yeah. most of them went to, through that. And I remember the quality of people just changed, you know, because everybody had to up their game now because these guys are going to school, these guys are going to school, and everybody was getting better and more informed and more educated, so things kind of had to change. Yeah, what are, you, what are you doing on your off time? That makes yeah. you better at your job. Yeah. This shooting's is, cool, but how many EP shootings do you hear about? No, I mean, it's, it's, an in, it's an interesting aspect, and I know a lot of people go into that field with physical attributes already on their side yeah. that might be bankable, you know. Because must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. Uh, but the ability to talk to somebody about a good parking space to de-escalate an uh, individual out there uh, to... I don't know if you're famous, and this is something I, a celebrity friend of mine told me this, and I never thought about it in that way. Uh, a friend of mine, very, very, very famous friend of mine, who's a pretty cool dude, he told me the, the aspect of seeing somebody in public approach you and having to come up with the, is this person trying to kill me? Say hi to me. Give me something. Give me something with a smile, but it's going to blow up inside of the car. Mm-hmm. Is it, or I don't know. Like, what is the intention of this person in the span of a few seconds? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I said, holy shit! I never thought about it that from that perspective. How that's probably something that's going to fucking wear on you after a while. Yeah. And having an EP professional that can mirror that or match that. Uh, off of VIP must be hard to find, I guess. Yeah, it's a hard position to fill for sure. We are always interviewing, and it's it's hard to find the right person. Yeah. What was your? I mean, you, you go into that EP field. Uh, you're learning as you go. It's a cool environment. I mean, they want to basically train you as you go. Uh, what are you looking at for yourself as far as how can I be better at this job? I just. For me, it was seeking out people who had experience yeah. and talking to them. Yeah. Uh, guys like Ryan. Ryan is uh, what, tw- 30 years of experience. Yeah, 20- yeah uh, field works on yeah. Instagram. Uh, Ryan has worked with many uh, top name uh, yeah. band and artists uh, across the planet. Yeah, uh, He's a problem solver. Yeah, there's a reason why you always see me with him. Yeah. I see him and I want to see how he does this. He's a big dude. Yes. He he uh, he can he's capable, 
but he is smart and he solves shit. Yeah. On the fly. Yeah. Like, hey, we can't get here. We can't get through here. Oh, we can't? Or, or you haven't figured it out. Yeah. He just, he is one of the, the, I love him as a person hanging out with him when we get do classes. If you ever get to see him working, yeah, he's it's one of the laser. most beautiful things, man. Yeah. It's a whole different level. Yeah. They just don't make him like him. Yeah. This, this, uh, this, um, like for somebody that is interested in this type of work, yeah. like what's your advice that like as far as them kind of, you say I've always been a big proponent of mentorship. Yeah. Right. And but there's not a lot of people out there that are willing to like take somebody on. You know? I've had people like, Hey Ed, how can I learn from you? Yeah. Like just stand back, dude. <laughs> I'm 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 a shit show. Yeah. But uh the there's a lot of people that are out there trying to like seek direction and are looking at EP as a viable thing for them. Like, what's your first piece of advice? Keep it simple. Um, the beer rule applies always. Like, you want to work with someone that you'd want to have a drink with at the end of the day. Sorry for the yeah, <laughs> Mr. Sober. Sorry. Oh, it's um, fine. But it's I... someone that you'd want to hang out with at the end of the day. Yeah. We call it have a smoke rule. Yeah. Um, for me. I'm not looking – the client that you end up working with, you just spend a lot of time with. I try to keep it simple as if I was providing security for my grandmother. How can I make grandma's life easier? Yeah. If you want to know what a good EP looks like, it looks like caregiving. Hey, let me get the door for you. Let me help you with your bags. Let me make sure that from the car to where you're going to go sit or stand or do your speech is the easiest route possible. I want to make it simple. Make sure your, your chair's not going to break. Yeah. Who are you going to be talking to? Yeah. Um, what's the fastest way out? If there is a medical emergency, grandma falls and breaks her hip or something, how am I getting her to the hospital? Yeah. How do I get the police involved? Um, we are representing a client, and you, you don't do that by coming in and being like, hey, we're in charge. We're going to do things this way. You come in by being like, hey, we'd like to come visit. And well, you, you think that humanizing as service aspect of – what you're talking about is available through regular EP training. I haven't seen it. It's an, inter it's an interesting thing. You, you know? want a good EP training? Go to retail. Go work retail. Go go work with people go. for a while. Yeah, go work with people retail. I did retail in high school. Yeah. I worked at a costume shop in a rich part of town, dealing with uh, very wealthy women and things like that. Yeah, this this uh, like I've been around in the U.S. and I've seen some people do EP training and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I did some high-level EP work in Mexico for mainly politicians. Yeah. Uh, the the style of EP in Mexico is completely different. Yeah. Right? yeah. There's a, there's a different aspect to it. There's a po there's political aspect to it. Uh, there's a cultural thing, you know, a machismo thing. Like VIPs won't want to go into the back seat, you know, because that's not who's in charge. They have to put them in the front. And I remember going through training here and realizing that the training was not at all needed. Like I had to relearn shit, you know, uh, specifically around the human side of it. Like the, um, you know, you, like I was working with a high level guy and high level guy had kids yeah. and they wanted to go out. Yeah. And uh, how are you going to let them go out to a bar in Tijuana when it is one of the most violent places on the planet? Yeah. So in my natural role, well, they're not going out. I don't recommend any of the bars because they can't go out because it's not secure. And this is my role. And yeah. I'm an idiot. That's an idiotic thing to do. Yeah. Because you're not paid to limit. You're paid to 
free them up to do the things they want to do yeah. because you're the you provide security. Yeah. So I had to shut that shit off in my mind and come up with three options for them to go to. And then out of the three options, I had to secure these places yeah. for them. But before they before I was asked, I had to do that. So yeah. when they came to me, I already had it. Yeah. And I learned that from seeing some of the older guys kind of perform their their duties and their tasks. Yeah. Go in with a smile. Yeah. Talk to people. Talk to everyone. And uh they'll they'll let you know that uh, blending in again. Yeah. The, the the aspect of just making things easier. Yeah. You know, and have coming up with solutions. Uh I was the, the whole thing they would scream at us, you know, solutions no problema, solutions not problems. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's what people want. Um, the the EP field in the U.S. is it uh, you know there's again like I, I go around and I, and there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people in that field that have it's all everybody knows each other because it's not a it's not a it's not a very large community so everybody kind of knows each other mm-hmm. uh, is there is there a school is there a specific training program is there um is there a certain height requirement like <laughs> what is like for anybody out there that is just now like legit listening to listening to this a conversation as far as advice because it's you know what an interesting field a lot of it is all about how you present yourself i'm five two i i blend in in very few places um, i definitely don't look like your ep guy yeah um you just have to sell that. Yeah. Like that's that's who I am. I'm not going to try to be anything different. I, I am very good at blending in. I'm very good at talking to people. That's it. But as far as EP school goes, I would like to go now to some EP schools and learn like what people are learning. That's on my list of yeah. schools to go to next year and figure out, like, yeah, there are some great things, but a lot of these things only work with that same EP school. Yeah. And that's part of it. If you get a bunch of guys going to the same one, they're great as a team. Yeah. But how do they fit into a team that doesn't know that particular um, formations and movements and everything like that? I mean, I, I guess a, a lot of these uh, these programs, you know, there's you see guns, and, and, and that's like the bulk of a lot of it. Uh, for me, like essentials, as somebody that's not only been through the training themselves, I did training like that. I was I instructed in that here in, here in Mexico, but also I actually actually did the job. Yeah. Um, essentials for me are driving. Yes. Uh, driving is, is an essential part of it. Not just driving, but also being uh, cognizant cognizant enough and also knowledgeable enough to basic mechanic yeah. skill. Yeah. Will do a lot for your value as a protective agent yeah. in any urban environment where you're doing executive protection. Yeah. That's probably one of them. Uh, medical. Yeah. Medical management. And when I say medical management, I don't mean just being able to treat a gunshot wound. Uh, basic general medicine yeah. aspects of yeah. diarrhea, temperatures, how to give an injection, how to inject somebody. I had, a, I had two VIPs once look around a room of all of these people with all this importance and like, who here knows how to give an injection? I'm the only motherfucker that raised their hand, right? Yeah. The aspect of just being an asset in an environment like yeah. that. Um, navigation. Route planning. Route planning. Yeah. Land nav. Basic yeah. land navigation. Uh, yeah. uh, G- knowing how to operate a GPS. Yeah. Not not the one on your fucking phone, but like an actual GPS. Yeah. Knowing how to operate a satellite phone. Uh, 
knowing how to do a good recon of a site beforehand, yeah. a, a route analysis, that type of stuff, yeah. essential. Yeah. Not that well studied and seen among a lot of people that I've seen kind of do this type of training out it's there. It's an experience thing. You yeah. either have it or you don't. Um, yeah. And there are some people who are like, I think this way all the time. And it's like, that sounds exhausting. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it is. It, yeah, is. it, is. it, it, it is. can be. It, it can be. Um, but yeah, a lot of it, when I get to a new place, because I, I travel for it, like I'm international with this client, um, I get to a town early. Yeah. Same way I got here yesterday. I walk around and I check my routes. I make a day of it. Yeah. Um, I learn how the locals are moving. How can I move? To have to have the answers before they're asked. Yeah, that's is, is, huge. Is a, is, is a big aspect of selling your work. That's I, huge. I, I, uh, never promising anything, but over delivering constantly. Yeah. Uh, well, it comes down to time. Any problem, the first, the the biggest enemy you have with any problem is time. Yeah. If I told you, hey, you have to fight uh, Conor McGregor, you have to fight uh, Nick Diaz. Yeah, and you'd sniper be, rifle. When? <laughs> so, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. no, Immediately you, far away because those motherfuckers will kill me. You have to meet him in the ring. Oh, and shit. It, when? Yeah. Tomorrow. No fucking way. Aerosol fentanyl. 15 years from now. <laughs> 15 years from now. Uh, you could train. I could train. Right? I so could lace biggest, my bones with adamantium. Yeah. yeah. They'll be older then. You know, yeah. Maybe you'll stand a chance. Maybe you'll stand a chance. But you stand a better chance by preparing If before. you have enough time. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of stories where there's, you know, uh, Civil War. You yeah. know, guys marching. And they marched all night. They took the high ground. And they were ready for the battle the next day. The battle took, took and they won. And the commander asked them, why did we win? Did we win when our infantry broke their lines? Did we win when our cavalry showed up? No. We won yesterday when we showed up and took the hill on the battlefield before they got here. Yeah. Because we marched all night. Time. Time. I get on the ground early. I check everything out yeah. days before. We were, that's how I got, ended up helping you guys out. The first class that I helped out with. Yeah. At AJ's. I showed up a day early. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'll check out. I'm going to make sure I have a place to park. Make sure that if I get there early, is there coffee, food? If there's a problem, can I go nearby and source a solution? And I was walking around and AJ, because he's a observant motherfucker, popped out. What the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm here for class. I just want to check it out. He's like, okay. Do you want a drink? <laughs> and he brought me in and I was like, yeah, you need any help? And I was, he's like, yeah, I need all this um, sawdust put out in the backyard yeah. before anyone gets here. So, and so when you showed up, I was shoveling dirt. You were shoveling dirt. In AJ's backyard, just helping out. Yeah. The, the aspect of being serviceable and being of use. Nothing's below us. But, like, that, yeah. but that's an aspect that people get blocked on sometimes, yeah. right? specifically in the UP field where you're like, I'm not here to hold bags. Right. Um, I can't do my job if I'm holding bags. I can't do, do my job of holding bags. I'm or, not going to load in. I got to watch the back. Or also the, the other aspect of it, which is the insular aspect that some yeah. of these groups have, where obviously we are not trusting of anybody, uh, but we do have to have the ability to to reach out to people and talk to people and figure things out, yeah. you know? So that you can't, again, it's the, the extremist aspect of it, you know, yeah. very insular or insular, but having ways of uh, figuring out things with other people. Yeah. Um, I did a, I did a contracting gig in Baja Sur, a parking attendant mm -hmm. that was at there, was very interested in all the shit we're doing, you know, I had a, have had some American um, security there. I was just hired on because I was, you know, local and I knew things that they didn't know. So I basically just rolled with the uh, advanced detail. 
And uh, one of the things I did that caught their attention is I gave a cell phone, just a burner phone, to the, the parking attendant. And they were like, why would you give a phone to the parking attendant? It's like, you'll see. You know, they were like, is that a security risk? Are you going to call them when we get here? That's going to be a risk. Whereas, no, not. It's not about that. Uh, eventually, something happened. And we needed answers quickly. And it was related to uh, a small dog uh, having some breathing issues. And uh, while everybody was scrambling to figure out what the best veterinary service to take a Pomeranian to, I was on the phone with this guy who knew everybody, knew everything about that place and knew exactly where all the rich people took their dogs to. Yeah. So I had a place and, a, and everything ready on the phone in the matter of minutes. Yeah. And everybody was like, I remember just coming up with the answers and whoever was in charge was like, Let's verify this, you know? It's like, oh, sure, let's go verify it. But that's this, these are the answers. Yeah. Cool. And they're like, later on, you know, there was some vir- friction from that. You know, people don't want to, don't like be shown up like that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but later on, they were like, oh, this is standard operating procedure. Now we all carry burner phones. We give out to some people, you know? <laughs> uh, it is, it is uh, problem solving. Uh, real-time problem solving and, and yeah. kind of like figuring things out in an environment like that. You start creating safety nets for yourself. Yeah. So that when things fall through, you know that safety net's there and it buys you a little bit more time. Yeah. Like that's that's the big thing. You got a problem. How much time do I have? Can I, can I make more time? Can I get more time? Or no? Then I'm going to make it work within this time. But if you've done done the legwork before, yeah. it'll work out for you. It'll work out. Um, I did a... We were on our way. We were working downtown SF, and we uh, had the boss in the car, and we got stuck in the worst traffic. We were already 10 minutes late, and I can see him uh, looking for what we call micro-mobility yeah. on his phone, yeah. which is like a scooter that you can reserve or a bike. And I'm, I'm watching him in the rearview mirror, and I see that he got one. And He's like, I'm hopping out. Middle traffic hops out. And I'm like, yeah, got you. We're, we're about a mile away from the venue. So he goes, and he's like, hey, I'm going to – Go. There's only one bike because I'm looking for one too. Yeah. And be like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do this, and um, couldn't find a bike, so I just let him know, hey, in the lobby, they're ready for you. It's on the second floor. There's only one room. Go on up and in. You'll be okay. And I see him take off around the corner. I get a quick view of the route because he's gonna go by way of bike, whatever yeah. the bike route says, which follows the rules of the road. Yep. I walk around downtown uh, SF all the time. I know that area. I do advance work all over there. So I knew there was a parking garage between us and the building. I can run through a parking garage. So I hoofed it. I just got on foot and ran like a seven-minute mile, <laughs> I think. And I run, and I knew, because I did a really good advance, that the back door of our building had a really cheap lock on it. Yeah. So I run up the emergency exit. I shim the lock with my knife, and I get in on that second floor. I was out of breath. But I, I'm asking, and I'm like, hey, is, did he get here yet? And the, the girls, because I came up behind yeah. them, were like, no, he's, he's not here yet. And I'm like, Cool. I go to the elevator lobby, six elevators, and I'm like, oh, there's a good chance he's coming up as I'm going down and yeah. I'll miss him. But I came this far. You're I'm going committed. for Committed. Hit the elevator, hop in the first one, drop down, and the door is open, and he's about to step into the elevator. And I, it sounds so cool, and I wish it looked cool in my head. I was out of breath. I was sweating like a motherfucker. I was just, <laughs> come, come, you can come in. Now it's ready for you. And he just smiles because he knows. Yeah. But I knew my routes. Yeah. So I couldn't be, I didn't want to be that EP guy, you know, running next to his bike like he's Joe Biden or something. Yeah. But I'm like, I can get ahead of him in the back yeah. and at least meet him there. 
the got him upstairs, got him in. That's another aspect of it. The fact that a job like that, and any job, any job where you're you're working with your body, and yeah. homicide is an option. Yeah. Uh, the self-discipline of training that body and keeping it and maintaining it. Yeah. That's a, that's another aspect that, yeah. One of my partners was like, I would not have run that. <laughs> Most of my partners are like, there's no way. There's I no would way. have made it. Um, Cause we have a, um, we have a team, uh, Intel team. That's why I do my live location and they watch it. And they're like, you were moving so fast through the city. We thought we thought you were on a bike or something. Yeah. I'm like, I was on foot. Yeah. And they're like, there's no way. The uh, it's needed sometimes. Not not always. You know, I remember this conversation about what we carried in the car for an emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, an umbrella. You know, rain <laughs> rain rain gear. Yeah. Uh, to change a tire. Uh, everything on top, nothing on the bottom. The tire was always on the top. And they're like, why do you carry the fucking tire on the top? Save you time when you have to fucking fix a flat tire. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember getting constantly asked, like, why two umbrellas? We only use one until we need two. Until you know? need two. You know, if a man that carries an umbrella is an idiot every day except when it <laughs> rains. You know? Yeah. The the aspect of that preparation and having some of these things kind of thought out beforehand, I think that's what brings a lot of value to people problem solve yeah yeah i know wherever i am what are all the routes i try to keep in mind if i gotta run if i gotta get in the driver's seat if i gotta get on a bike how, how are we getting there and how are we getting home yeah it's the same thing how am i getting home after all this <laughs> it's not enough to finish the mission i want to go home so uh did not break tradition i don't smoke cigars at all i don't i know nothing about cigar smoking Mostly uh, cigarette smoking a little bit every now and then. Yeah. Uh, but not, nothing about cigar smoking. The first time I went to a cigar lounge was with you. <laughs> we were, uh, we were uh, Portland running out, running yeah. away from a uh, from a uh, tear gas, uh, CS gas, yeah. and uh, so we ended up at this nice cigar lounge. I need something to clear my lungs. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I remember sitting down and you asked me like, Did you know, do you smoke cigars? It's like no. Why would I do anything that is pleasurable? Yeah. Because I hate myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So no, I don't. I've never done shit like that for myself. But I, I said I'm open to the experience. I don't remember what you what you selected. Yeah. But you selected some cigar. Yeah. And you not only showed me not to inhale because right. it isn't weed. It's I, not re- weed. I remember that conversation. Yeah. So I had a learning experience. Let's puff and enjoy it. What do you look for in a, in a good cigar? Like, there's probably people that are connoisseurs and are seeing us enjoy. What are we enjoying now? Oh, man. Uh, these are Padillas. These come from a, a friend in Florida. Okay. Padillas. Yeah. He's a okay. good dude. He, uh, a great dude. He makes a great cigar. What is it about cigars for you? Like, why cigars? Like, what's the enjoyment aspect of this for you? I mean, I, uh, I'm not saying I don't enjoy them. Right. I fucking enjoy them a lot. I just don't do this for myself. I always, only when we're together. It right? forces me to slow down. It forces you. It, it, it gives you motivation to sit your ass down yeah. and, and, and enjoy, enjoy and enjoy something. And uh, yeah, it's just living like right in the moment yeah. right now. It, it For me, it is very good at like um, cementing. A moment and a memory. Yeah, we cement it with fire. It almost sears it into I, the memory. I, right? I remember 
the first time we smoked was in Portland. And then later on, we were somewhere in California. Yeah. Yeah. When AJ's, we smoked in the back there. Yeah. And then uh, you took me to a cigar lounge. Yeah, yeah. You and somebody else who's in this room somewhere. <laughs> My girl, Shanae. Uh, cigar smoker. So a dangerous red-headed woman. Yeah, code red actual. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, good. She's great, by the yeah, way. She's great. She is, uh, she's great. You guys make so much sense. Yeah, yeah. I found a girl who <laughs> drinks scotch and smokes cigars. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, comes yeah. to classes. We met at one of your classes. That is pretty strange for me to now be a, uh, a weird place where people, you know, now matchmake. <laughs> That's Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys, both of you have been really medicinal in my uh, current state of being. Yeah. Uh, I remember you guys coming out for that, uh, that class I did in California, helping me out with it. And, uh, as an Asher thing, we said, let's go, let's go to the cigar lounge, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think, uh, I think it was probably a year into my sobriety. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't go to bars anymore. We couldn't go to bars yeah. anymore. And uh, I remember thinking about now, thinking about December 2022 and seeing in my mind, it was so fucking far away. And the 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 distance that I had in my mind was related to the fact that I was going through. You were sobriety. going through it, dude. You were going through it. <laughs> I was going through my shit. I was alone with it. Yeah. You know, um, I was uh, trying to figure out my own shit, and also trying to be there for you guys as well, and be positive about stuff. And I think a big. A big thing for me then was I was really married to my cross that it was bearing. Yeah. And I didn't want to fucking, you know, get off that shit. Yeah. Um, and I remember both of you forcing me to sit down and enjoy a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> Just sit down. There's something about it that you f- can make better decisions. Maybe not better decisions, I, but I, you make decisions. I made a decision for myself that night. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, it's a decision of suspension, basically. Yeah. I had this moment where I said, well, I'm going to wait for something, and I'm going to just chill the fuck out for the next year or two yeah. and just suspend myself, you know? Yeah. Not necessarily isolate myself or self-isolate, which I have done a little bit of that, but uh, mostly positively figure out how to be okay with myself and be by myself yeah. for a while. yeah. You know, I made that decision. And then you told me that you were about to go embark on a fucking crazy ass uh, endeavor, which yeah. I said, I don't know about this, Vince. We're here. I'm here sitting down with you guys trying to get over some shit that happened to me yeah. in a place like the one that you're about to go to yeah. and uh, where danger was a constant and risk was the baseline. And now I'm suffering through all this weird nerve damage related to it and yeah. substance abuse. And I see both of you in love yeah. uh, and joyous people. Yeah. And you have everything that I wish I had. <laughs> and you tell me that you are going to go uh, to a uh, war zone. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. As we're smoking cigars and I'm relaxed, everybody's here. We're all safe. We're all okay. And you say, "Well, I'm going off to a war zone." Yeah, it's just casual. How the how the how did you how did you get there? Oh, man. How did it's, you get to this uh, place where you were sitting with me and saying, "You know what? I think I need to go to Ukraine." Yeah. And share this information with all these people over there. I think it was seeing the people of Ukraine ready to fight without oh. any tools, without any other weapons they need. The videos coming out of the, the Ukraine. The videos coming out, the pictures coming out, seeing men and women training with wooden <clears throat> sticks yeah. because they didn't have weapons, rifles <clears throat> yet. Yeah. Um, when, it, when it was starting, like on my social media, I would post yeah. videos in the morning. This is before you went out yeah, there. Yeah. Like uh, I think one of the first videos I posted was of these this kid in the back of a truck and all of these, uh, I don't know, javelin missiles or something like that in the back of this truck. Yeah. And he's just driving. Yeah. And I and I posted in the comment and, and the uh, tagline of that video, war, war in an invading force can be a reality that seems far, far away from all of us. Yeah. But it might have seemed far away for the Ukrainians a year ago, and look at where we are now. Yeah, right. And uh, the women uh, tearing apart styrofoam to make uh, Molotov cocktails. cocktails. Yeah. The I had a manual that I that I had that I sent to the Venezuelan resistance when the Venezuelans were fighting the government uh, related to armored vehicles and how they would make things to stop those. Yeah. And that manual got shared by them, yeah. the Ukrainians, and all of a sudden I got a bunch of Ukrainian traffic on my Instagram yeah. account. Well, it was pretty fucking wild. It was, yeah. it was seeing them getting ready to fight a battle that they... They were fighting for their home. Yeah, that, that they had that no, aspect of no reason to win other than it was their lives. And I was like, that's underdog and, shit. That's the shit I love. And also for. mentally we were in the whole aspect of this is Russia. But not the Russia we know now. Right. It is a Russia that we didn't really know what was up with them. Yeah. So underdog. And, you know, people, we can talk about the politics of the, yeah. the Ukrainian government and all that shit and how they're, 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 we, know we know there's villains on both sides always, of that, right? Always. But what for, for me, what caught my attention was the local uh, Ukrainian will to fight that to me was like very admirable commendable and also made me take my notebook out you yeah. know because i oh these guys are going to do something that i you know this is what i live off of us showing people how to do some of these things yeah. and they're going to do it for real let yeah. me let me figure that out on my end i was like this looks like a interesting conflict let me see if i can figure my way out there yeah and i was immediately met with a i was going to risk a lot if I went out there, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a during during this conflict, yeah. Uh, so I immediately realized that it's not mine to go to, and I had a lot of interest, and a lot of people sent me messages about some of the training that I do and some of the need that people had out there, and uh, I remember you saying, "Well, I'm, I'm, let me figure my way out there," yeah. and the first thing I thought was jealousy. <laughs> you know, I felt, uh, you know. You, you feel this shit. I wish I didn't have a lot to lose. But then I saw you and I said, you have a lot to lose. 
Yeah. You do have a lot to lose. I do. Right? I do. But um, I have a lot to live for too. Yeah. Wow. That's an, yeah. That's another aspect of it. How did you? Uh, so this the, the 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 war is ramping up. Yeah. People are screaming for basic knowledge. Yeah. Uh, things are not going that well in certain parts of that conflict war. Yeah. Uh, how how does that communication start? I started doing my own research. That's it. You you went off to look for your way there. Yeah. How do I get in? How are other people getting in? Where are they meeting with problems? What are the issues going on? What are they looking for? Yeah. What specifically do they need? Yeah. Instead of what can I give them that's not going to be necessarily what they want? Yeah. And I had going into it, I had two. It was one of two reasons were going to get me in. I was like, if there's a draft, I'm I'm gonna. Yeah, like I'm, I'm back in. Yeah, uh, they got me. Um, or if my best friend goes, best friend Johnny. So like, we give the universe a little bit of control. Yeah, we're like, okay, if one of these things happen, you take got the me. wheel. Yeah, and as soon as I said that, I told my girl I wasn't sleeping. I was up all night doing research, like checking things out, watching everything, watching troop movements, and then I get a call from Johnny. It's like I'm going to Ukraine, and I told him we're going to Ukraine. <laughs> it was car we take. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he got with a nonprofit. Um, the nonprofit took me to, and it was. What were they looking for with this nonprofit? Um, they were looking for austere medical, and they wanted to go into places where other people weren't and provide medical support, medical care. A great idea for a nonprofit. It was great. It was brand new, getting off the ground, and they did some good work. Yeah. They got me into the country the first time. Um, well, well, so you you get into this. Uh, Nonprofit, they have been actively helping and supporting this war fighting effort out there, training people. Yeah, they needed medical management yep. information yeah. or people that would train their troops in that. And these are not experienced soldiers. A lot of them were not experienced soldiers. There's not, it's not like they're coming off the barracks and they're just going right. to fight a war. It's a lot of young men and women that have had a life that was completely fucking stopped, and yeah. now they're fighting a war for their land. There's a lot of techies. A lot of people who did engineering, art, yeah. ran into a Ukrainian ballerina out there setting up uh, medical hospitals named Lana. She was fantastic setting yeah. up uh, remote medical clinics. So you, you're you you get this is this is your this is you if you figure out this is your fight. Yeah. You, this is your fight. What's the conversation like with your girl about it? <laughs> she knew as soon as I told her, I was like, I'm. What do you mean she knew? She knew as soon as I was like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna go to Ukraine. She's like, I've been waiting for you to tell me. She she knows what I'm doing. What's uh what's her reaction to it? She was supportive. She's like, okay, what yeah. do you need? She started doing more research. Uh, helps dating a lawyer. She started looking <laughs> up like NPR, like doing all these things of like, what kind of legal trouble was can you get into? There was no static as far as don't go. No, probably never that. She knew like, we can't stop people from doing things. Um, she, the reason why one of the things she loved about me is that I go to where people need help and I help. Yeah. And we always knew like our plan has always been trying to get with, trying to go to where people actually need us. You, you have her doing research. Yeah. What's your backpack like? Are you trying to figure out where you're going to, what, what you can and can't take? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure out how to get into the country without getting stopped at the border first. What's, what's the worry about getting stopped at the border and which border are you talking about? Um, getting into Ukraine. Getting, in, getting yeah. into the Ukrainian, yeah. uh, U- Ukraine proper. Yeah. You have to go through where? Uh, so the first time I went through Romania, which was 
a little bit of a headache. It was, it was rough because there's not a lot close to the Romanian border. Yeah. So at one point we thought we weren't going to be able to cross. Two of us got. To, st- so you can can you describe what that border is like? Is, is it just basically fencing? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's not it's not like it's serpentine it's serpentine road yeah. uh, serpentine uh, wire uh, concertina wire. Yeah. And fencing and uh, border guard station. Border guards and then just cars for miles. Um, it coming had, in and out. Or coming out. in and out. You know, at different times. Going in originally, there was an exit out. And going back in, there was a... Who's coming out? A lot of Ukrainians were, were trying to get to what, safer what, the, what What, uh, what, what uh, year is this? This is a year ago, right? Yeah, this was last year. Last year. So yeah. there a lot of Ukrainian... Are you seeing men and women coming out? or Mostly, mostly women men, and kids. Women and kids. So... Yeah. It's not like other conflicts in the past where all the men and, 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 and everybody's out, yeah. right? Is yeah. this, this is no, the men were staying. The men, the men were staying. The men were staying. So you, you make your way there. Did you have a, a visual of where you're going? Did you do, you do your, no, your prep the, work? The nonprofit set it all up. They yeah. were great. Um, they got us pretty far in, but there was a lot of conflict within the nonprofit about uh, where we were going to. Did you get a packing list? What we couldn't, could do. We did. Gas mask, um, you know they pack for everything. Yeah, um, ended up carrying way too much gear. What um, what, what was what what, what what was some of the first shit you dumped? Basically, is what I'm gonna ask. I mean, I kept it, but I didn't need the yeah. gas mask. That you took up a you, lot of room. Was the worry that the Russians are gonna start using? Yeah, it's a good worry, I guess. It is. I mean, you better yeah. needed not have it. Yeah, needed not have it. Yeah. Uh, what else did you have in that? Uh, I had my care. body armor. Um, I had what my was, plates. What, what was what was it like traveling with plate armor from the United States all the way over there? So everyone always tries to carry uh, like military packs. Military packs are the worst. That's but that's what's gonna get it yeah. opened. Yeah, um, I carry with civilian gear. I yeah. have a Osprey, the anti gravity pack. The best thing in the world. Yeah, thing sits sits high up on my shoulders. Easy. Well, I to want throw all around. the molly webbing. I want to put my American flag. <laughs> I need patch to, yeah, on I need my American. No, I I look whenever I travel, I either try to blend in or look like a tourist. And that's what I need. I needed to be a civilian to cross the border. So you, you basically... I hit everything. Hit everything. Hit everything. You didn't even question about the plate armor? Nothing. It was hidden deep in my pack, and I'm carrying a regular backpack. <sighs> I'm here to provide medical support. You get there. You have a fixer there trying to get you in. Somebody there is kind of waiting civilians for you. helping us out, moving us around. Who um, uh, The lady who worked with that nonprofit was fantastic. She created a network within her scuba diving community. Um, that was all over Ukraine. So there okay. were divers that were helping us out, yeah. moving us from place to place, which is fantastic. And it makes sense. I mean, people from that community, all of a sudden you turn into a war fighting setting. Yeah. There are people that know ways in and out, back roads, uh, get to get things to places, equipment, move around, travel around the vehicle. Kendra was fantastic at sourcing that. She had such a good network that I had no <clears throat> idea existed yeah. of these people who are travelers. Yeah. They they travel to scuba dive. Yeah. So they were good at traveling and planning travel. Logistics around yeah, traveling and moving a, around. And the, Ukraine the, is a huge country. For people that don't know how big Ukraine is, I mean, you cross that border. Uh, where's your first stop? Uh, and also, when you cross that border, what 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 get what was what was checked? What what are they? Nothing. Looking they for? they let us through. Um, so we were using Ukrainians to move us across the border. So same way like here. If you travel across with yeah. Mexican plates, you don't get questioned coming in, but you do get questioned going out, you know? 
So they were questioning the people coming out. Yeah. So if I was a do a Ukrainian dude coming out, it's like, why are you? Yeah, leaving? why are you leaving? Where are you going? Where are you going? Hey, where's that Get way? Back. Yeah, where's that <laughs> way? Um, so you you make it you make it through the border uh, with your gear intact. Mm-hmm. Where, what's your first stop? Uh, Kremenchuk. How, how far away is that from the border? It was a good three days of travel, I think. And this is far from the from far from the front. Or so it's are you one seeing... of one of the final safe zones because there's a river. Yeah. That runs there. Yeah. Um, we were still taking indirect fire here and there. Every everywhere is in Ukraine now. Yeah. When you say indirect fire, just uh, Russian forces out there, kind of like cast, uh, hassling. Uh, yeah, just shooting mortars or rockets coming in here and there. Um, and what were they aiming at mostly? Any anything? Schools. That's what was getting hit. Um, playgrounds. Weird stuff was getting yeah. hit, man. Demoralizing things. Yeah. Demoralizing yeah. things. But the people were moving around the city just fine. They would just have uh, air alarm or anything like that. But you just got used to incoming. It. Yeah. yeah. Now, this is I mean, they're they're in their conflict at this point where you when you're out there. Uh what's your first interaction with the military there? Um, training. We started teaching T triple C to whoever we could. Did uh the did uh what did they want? Like, what did they ask for? Like, what news were they asking about? So this is the weird part about um, Eastern Europeans. Not weird, but different. They don't they don't get sarcasm <laughs> very well. Yeah, they don't uh, they, they don't smile at pictures. No, everything like, is very stiff and straightforward. Yeah. So when I started teaching classes, and yeah. they would they would start coming up and asking very direct questions in a very aggressive manner, yeah. to where I thought like, oh my god, they. They think it's full of shit or like, yeah. they, but it's just their way. Yeah. At the end, standing ovation, like the, they started bringing a film crew for me yeah. um, and being like, we want to film this. We're so going we to translate so can, it and translate pass it and out. Shit, pass it out. Yeah. Um, what we found out was that I, I teach a very direct and simple version of it. Yeah, it's for, for war fighters. I mean, you only have a, a certain amount of time to show them what they need to plug a hole, stop somebody from bleeding out. Not for war fighters, for civilians too. Yeah, I told them bring everyone, bring yeah. everyone you I mean, can to this course. Yeah, I'll teach civilians, I'll teach children, I'll teach grandmas. Everyone needs to know how to stop a bleed. So I taught in a way for civilians to understand too, which made it easier. The yeah. doctors loved it, everyone loved it. I ran into a couple straight from the military T triple C instructors that tell jokes and laugh and do these things that are great for the. Uh, Great for the Marines. They'll keep us into it all day. Yeah. Just give it a good tap. You'd be all right. Um, but then they get in front, and they're trying to tell these jokes through a translator, which just doesn't work. And everyone's un- trying to understand why he, uh, why he's talking about fucking a guy's sister. Oh, because right? yeah. Like, yeah, you don't know who this guy is. Like, you could be fucking his sister, but you got to <laughs> save his life now. Great for teaching Marines and, arm, and Army. But not there. Everybody's fucking straightforward. You can't like, fucking, they're not going to get he, the joke. You fucked his sister? Yeah. It's like, what's <laughs> it's like, going oh. on? Shit, you're going to stop yourself. Yeah. And you're yeah. just wasting time. Yeah. The, what's their equipment like? Do they have equipment? Like, are tourniquets uh, available there? Had, had the equipment already kind of gone, gone through? Some of the equipment was there. Um, I worked with a guy my second time around, uh, Mike. He goes by son of a bitch sixty nine on Instagram. Dude's okay. an asshole. Yeah, but he is the asshole you want on your side. Yeah, he's one of those necessary assholes. And he was fantastic at sourcing equipment. Yeah, he um he works off Instagram for the most part and just was hitting up everybody. 
Hey, we need hey, this. We need yeah, this. Yeah, we heard you want to donate. What, what was the send it here? What was the what was the the, the main requisite that they had? Like first aid kits. First aid like kit. a full kit. Like a, a full, full pocket kit. Yeah. Um. So he would get hundreds of these. He yeah. would tell them buy this one, send it here. We'll drive across to Poland or not? Uh, yeah, Poland, and get them and bring them back. Or he had other people pick it up and bring in truckloads. Yeah. So we could teach a course and teach and give them the kits. Yeah, give them the equipment um, for them to use. But yeah, we would get boxes of med kits from China. Yeah. This didn't hold up <laughs> really bad. Uh, what was amazing, though, is that some of the Ukrainians got a hold of the good tourniquets, and they started making them themselves. They started manufacturing tourniquets They started manufacturing, and they were better than the ones that we were buying. That makes sense. They were making them. the. They started passing around the, the things. Uh, the, they came up with a diagram, or however you need to sew and cut and sew, yeah. and they started making uh, tourniquets that worked. And it was fantastic. Wow. They, so we, they bring him by the handful and be like, what do you think of these? What would you change? You know, it was fantastic. They, the, the, you do this kind of first training thing for them out there. Uh, are you getting people that are coming back from the front as well? Are you getting people that were out there doing shit and then come, coming back? That was part of the crazy part. Uh, more so the second time than the first time. But by the second time, we were in the front. And I was training teams that would come in off the line, come to my course, and then go back out. Yeah. When you say teams, I mean, this is Ukrainian military now. Yeah. Um, uh, so at that time, I was working with Billionaire Battalion. Okay. It was a private contracted military, a, a businessman who said, yeah. I'm going to, there you go, I'm going to start my own military, and we're going to defend Kremlin. Uh, we're going to defend uh, Ukraine. Ukraine. Uh, like a, so Kharkiv. Yeah, Kharkiv. Yeah. And he, it's, he's basically, with his own money, funding... Privately funded fund, military. Pri privately funded military, and yeah. he's bringing people like you to yeah. augment the capabilities of the existing conventional forces yeah. there by giving them a training. And I, he, I would be teaching three classes a day because he would just keep giving me more and more people. And, and are these people coming back from the front? I mean, they're... I would get guys, and I'd be talking about bullet wounds, and he'd be like, yeah. So I'd get a guy who would be like, yes. I got shot three times last week, and it looked like that. <laughs> Can I see? You know, and show you. Yeah. Bruises and everything. And, like, for people that, are, you know, might have these questions, like, for me, I have these questions. What is their gear like? Do they have what they need? Are They've they got uh, the most basic of what, stuff. When they say most basic of stuff, they have a rifle, a few magazines, uh, Plate, are they carrying plate? Are they wearing plate soft carriers, armor? Mostly soft armor. We were get Mike was getting them plates, which was amazing. Uh, yeah. Level four plates that were getting donated from, I think Germany yeah. at the time. Um, fantastic stuff. What are what are these uh, what are these groups doing? Are they just fucking doing trench warfare, uh, uh, urban warfare? It's both. They're they're fighting in towns, so they're There's, holding down houses. Um, they're fighting in trenches. They're fighting in the forest. Um, we would be we would drive out to the the lines to resupply and check in on the guys, whatever. One day we we drove out just to wish a guy happy birthday, the commander. Yeah. It's his birthday. We're going out there. Let's go. So we hopped in the pickup truck and we'd be driving between houses and trees, and then he'd be like, "Okay, now is where we go fast." <laughs> just because it was open land and yeah. it's just open, and he's like, "We got to get through before they send the artillery." And I'm there. I have it on my phone. I was trying to. We hit a bump so hard, I hit the ceiling and bounced back down, you know, and it was like that. We'd it, get in, sliding in. Was this small arms fire just crackling off yeah. every time they yeah. would see anything that was viable yeah. to shoot? Uh, 
What about the war fighters there? Are you seeing foreigners there? Or I, is it mostly Ukrainians at the, at the front? There were a few foreigners. Um, they've like, been from, like from where? Like who are these? I guys? ran into two Marines out there <laughs> who were doing good work, just fresh out of the Marine Corps. Young fresh out of the Marine dudes, Corps, man. like how how young? Twenty four, twenty five. They didn't get their war. They went in there too late. They didn't get their war, so like they're That's gonna it. fucking figure it out. Um, so they went out there. One of them just got blown up. Um, Johnson uh, just got his arm amputated. Uh, he's friends with Apparition Group. They were the two guys out there. Okay, young Marine. Dude, it's you warned me about this going in. Was uh, there's not a lot of brown people in Ukraine. <laughs> no, no, there's not a lot. Of, I, uh, bef- when you went, I had two friends of mine that were already out there. Uh, Mexicans. I used to work with them here. Uh, they were from the army, the Mexican yeah. army, and they went to the uh, French Foreign Legion when all of us got uh, defunct. Yeah. And uh, and after that, they were looking for a fight, so they went over there and they were treated very differently. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, Johnson, the guy who just got blown up for Ukraine, he had trouble getting a bus. Buses were, they just didn't know. Yeah. Um, but he's given up his arm for the, the battle in Ukraine now, helping out out there. Um, they're selling T-shirts for him on Apparition Group on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll give him a shout out. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, um, can't the, kill a cyborg is what they're saying now. He's no, going to yeah. be half Terminator going back out <laughs> there. We'll see. That's fucking He's got bad. good spirits. We're just, uh, he got indirect fire. No, uh, attack helicopter. Okay. Came through, um, blew him up. Luckily, one of the medics I worked with was out there with him, jumped on, applied a tourniquet, and then he had a punctured lung, too, went, went through his plate. Yeah. And um, so they, um, the group that's been doing the most out there is uh, Dark Horse Vets. Okay. They got out there. Any, they've been helping out with the wounded and getting them to the hospitals uh, okay. to get good help. What are some of these foreigners there, like these guys? Um, what's their motivation? They just want to help. Is it is it help, or is that they also want to fight? I think there are some that want to fight, but a lot of the guys who go out there just to fight, as soon as you put them into a trench, they're they're out. Yeah, I didn't come here to sit in a trench. I want to be on the front. I want to be pushing through the Russian line. It's not like that. There are some very small groups that are doing that. Yeah. Um, Mike, Dan, Savan, Agit, like they're getting it. Yeah. But they have been fighting YPG. They've been YPG guys for yeah. years. Yeah. And they know what they're doing. Yeah. And they're looking for other guys like that. They're not taking, you know, Joey but, Marine. Uh, uh, Joe just shows up. And like, just, those, but what these Marines are doing is great at close combat. They're training mounts. They're training these guys. They need good trainers out there. But the moment they go out there, it becomes a risk. Yeah. 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 But these guys have their hearts in the right place. The... You know, the conflict from the outside, you hear news coming out of that region. And I have, I'm, I'm blessed and cursed with friends uh, of different nationalities. Mm-hmm. You know, I have friends that are Russian. Yeah. That, uh, that, you know, they send me some of their social media and media that says one thing. Yeah. And then I have friends who are on the Ukrainian side sending me news and information on their side. And I can see... Both of them are working the, everything's fine, everything's okay, we're winning, we're winning. Yeah. Both sides are saying they're yeah. winning. Um, when you were out there, like, what was your assessment about this whole we're winning aspect of the Ukrainian? No no one wins in war. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, I, I, we see the decimated towns, we see infrastructure now being targeted as we head into this winter. Yeah. Uh, 
The Ukrainians want, want their land back. Yeah. They need their land back. Yeah. Ukraine is so beautiful. I get it. What, what, Driving you, through, I was it's, like... It's, describe it for people that have never driven there. Is it's, it's Eden. Green? It's green. It's green. Fields are beautiful. Everything is alive in a way that I had... I, I drove through it and I was like, this is... I see why people would fight to keep this tooth and nail and I see why people would fight to take it. The The cities. Like, uh, what are the cities like? You know, some of them are basically first world in 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 some of the um, some of the uh, yeah the the um, infrastructure. Ukraine is only not a first world country because they choose not to be. Yeah, they don't give in to to everything else. <laughs> yeah. they just choose to be themselves because they're they're pretty good. Yeah, they got it. Yeah, they get it. Now you're out there providing. Tra- medical training, uh, and then you get asked to provide other types of training. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it started off with medical, and then word got out about Sneak Reaper, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, you're a Sneak Reaper cartel." Well, a couple of things. They heard cartel, and they're like, "Oh, that's when it clicked. You're Mexican." Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Mexican, guys. Perez. You know, and they're like, "You speak Spanish?" Yeah, I speak a little bit of Spanish. You know, Mexican knife fighting. It's like. I know some knife fighting. Mexican knife that's fighting. What it, that's what they associated. Yeah. Mexican knife fighting. Yeah, sure. And it's like, yeah. And Mexican like, judo is like, whenever I get asked, like, is this, Ed, what do you show? Yeah. You, you Mexican knife fighting? No, Mexican judo. Yeah. You don't know if I have AIDS. You don't know if I have C. You don't know if I have a gun. That's it. You don't know, yeah. you know? Um, you get asked about showing them some of the... Yeah, and I was like... How to stab somebody in compromised positions, basically. That's it. So, um, yeah, they're like, can you show us? I was like, if you let me teach medical courses, and if there's time at the end, I'll teach you guys knife fighting. Because I see it as opposite sides to a coin. Yeah. In medical work, you're trying to keep blood inside of the body. That's basic medical work. Keep the blood inside the body. In knife fighting, you're trying to take the blood outside the body. Yeah. That's it. So it was great to be able to teach them and then show them both sides. I mean, that's most of the material that I show people. Some the all, the all the stuff that I showed you related to that yeah. comes from my experience going through pig lab, goat lab training, and then having a moment of, oh. Yeah, and that was it of like, hey, can you get me a pig? Yeah. And they'd get me a pig. I'd be like, have you guys bring their knives, have them bring what they want, and, and I could show them wounds. And everybody, I mean, it's a war setting. I mean, we're guys. Yeah. As soon as we get an excuse to carry our shit, we're yeah. like, what 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 are some of the knives that are people carrying out there? Like what did they what 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 were they carrying with them? Fishing knives, like a cooking knives, like a Scandi grind, yeah. like Scandi grind kitchen knives, yeah. which are, you know, yeah, uh, more knives, yeah, those will work. Those will work. Those will work. What do you cut meat with? Yeah, bring that. Yeah, yeah. Um, hunting knives broke a lot. A lot of the hunting knives are kind of gimmicky out there. Yeah, but a couple knives break. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm asking like I imagine Ukraine. There's a lot large rural section of it, so I'm just curious about what they were carrying with them into a war. Very simple, straight knives. S- simple, straight knives. Yeah. basically fishing knives, tool knives. That's what they were stuffing into their equipment and as they, they went out the field there. With. And and are you getting stories about people using knives out there? I get a few good stories. <laughs> I hear a few good things. Um, the you're doing you're doing their uh, you know medical management uh, keeping people from uh, bleeding out austere some of the aspects of the improvising because they don't have they're not an equipment rich place right and then can we bring a pig after the class yeah I mean, and then so they'd get me a pig and then 
guess what we ate for the next three days? Okay, carnitas. Big. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I'm good. Just, I'll just have the soup. No way I could eat. Yeah, they get good pig out there. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, it's a, a, it's a green, it's a, it's yeah. a green ass place and a lot of moisture. So I can imagine some of those pigs are pretty big. Yeah. So you get this pig up there, and all these uh, Ukrainian uh, military are just there standing around you. But the commanders loved it because they start to see the change in their men. Because there's always that hesitation. We see it in every class. Yeah, like, I mean. Oh. Sh- Shooting some, shooting somebody with a gun, or going to a range and and doing fast reloads and shooting a rifle. Yeah. That's all of that is great. Yeah. Uh, but when you can, when somebody's on top of you, or you when they have something really close range, and you yeah. have to introduce an object into a body. So I, I would tell him, I was like, okay, this is how I'm only going to teach you two moves. Yeah. Knife fighting is simple. You need to convince this guy to die, and you do this by talking to him heart to heart. Going from center chest to center chest, and if that doesn't work, you go eye to eye. Yeah. So heart to heart, eye to eye. Only two moves I showed, and then how to just clean off and keep working until you get it. Yeah. And I'd let them work, and they loved it. And there was always, always one guy in the class was like, no, no, this one work. Try it on me. <laughs> and I'd have to go. And Ukrainians are big dudes. Yeah, they're big farm, farm people. Big dudes. I have some, some great videos I'll post up of them, like trying to... I'd be like, all right, show, show me. And they, they come in with something completely different than we talked about. And I, yeah. you know, have to react. And they're yeah. like, oh, this is, I thought I was dangerous. Now <laughs> I see you are the danger. <laughs> like, yeah. So it yeah. went around that, that, like, there's a Mexican going around Ukraine teaching medical work and teaching Mexican knife fighting. So it became a thing. I would start rolling into towns with Mike. Mike was fantastic at getting me places. And be like, you're the Mexican we've heard yeah. about. Yeah, that's me. This, this- you're smaller than I thought. <laughs> This this place where people are fighting, you know, tooth and nail, basically for where they were born. Yeah. What is the uh, what is the patriotism, the, uh, the the civilian populace, the support for these fighters like? Huge. Is it is it not? It's not like uh, I don't know. As far as a war, conflict, modern conflict, can you think back on the last twenty, thirty years of a conflict where the locals were like as like the, a type of conflict like this? This is not seen that much, right? Russia, I just caught. Russia is fighting a country. Yeah, the country is united. Yeah, and it's amazing. We would get into firefights. Uh, we take take contact out on the lines, and after it was over, someone's mom would drive up in her personal vehicle with a pot of soup in the back and feed everybody. Yeah, you know, have fun storming the castle, boys. <laughs> go, go drive back. back. Call me when you're ready for dinner. This is this is um, an aspect I don't think I don't know. people see some of those things. Uh, different different people kind of documenting it, but the war as a war fighter, you know, and all these conflicts that the U.S. has been in in the past yeah. 40, 50 years, uh, a defensive nation, a, a nation defending itself. Yeah. Uh, the locals basically fighting for the the ground that's underneath their feet. Um, the politics are what they are on the top. I mean, I'm not here to tell you that the the Ukrainian government is the heroic government, but it is engaged in its own its its own self interest. I've learned this lesson from my mother long ago. Yeah. Nobody's against you; they're for themselves. You know, and I, I can see the politics out there the same way. Uh, but you're on the ground talking to these locals. You're showing these locals. Uh, these warfighters, how to basically get better at defending and also to secure securing themselves. And um, start, I, I started getting a, a lot of uh, pictures 
from the front messages about people being captured, mm-hmm. people being tied up, Russian, how they would tie up Russians. I, I remember getting a kick out of the fact that the Ukrainians were utilizing the same identification tape that they would use for their shoulders to tie people yeah. up. Yeah. And I got a message from a, was a commander of some sort out there. Uh, another friend of mine introduced me to him. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's pretty cool. He's a... Uh, He's doing this type of work, this is reconnaissance shit, you know, ninja stuff. And he heard about your training through somebody out there that was advising at, at some at, at some point. So can you send them some stuff? And I send them some you know, basic, basic things, uh, specifically how to, you know, tie people up if you don't have a lot of things there to tie people up. Yep. And I showed him, you know, some recipes to how to make, you know, zip tie restraints, how to make duct tape actually inescapable and all this weird shit, you know. And I remember the glee, you know, in the messages like, oh, oh. And then, you know, he went he went offline for like a few months and then come back online and I started seeing some pictures of the ways they were tying people up. And yeah. Like, oh, he learned. Yep. The zip ties changed over there. The way yeah. they were doing zip ties, it changed. Yeah. It was good. The, the mental uh, aspect for me is learning this here in the city. This is where I learned it. Most yeah. of it, I learned it here in the city. Yeah. Uh, working and I learned it from horrible, horrible people. Yeah. Deconstructing it, figuring out how to make it into a teachable learning moment for people, but not by not only showing them how to create the restraints, but also how to get out of them. Yeah. Somehow, fucking making my way through the universe and finding you and having a chat outside of a fucking cigar shop <laughs> somewhere in California, <laughs> trying to talk you out of it. Did yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, looking to your girl, say hey, help me out. She's like, no, just, it's fine. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, and I have seeing some of the feedback of the stuff out there. It's has been wild for me. How this? This is not my information. It's just information, yeah. and it's how it goes out and influences and changes yeah. things. We live in a place in a day and age where you can. You're talking about you know, the sphere of influence that you would tell your people. Yeah. You would reach out your arms, look up, look down. This yeah. is your sphere of influence. Uh, I think there ha- something happened to some of us when we figured out our sphere of influence can be wider than that if we just kind of like really kind of think about the yeah. things that we're doing to this world and how we can affect change in a way. Um, I've posted stuff on my social media. Well, the account is dead now, so Rest officially. Rest in peace. Yeah, that's a manifesto. Manifesto. Uh, manifesto radio. That's on. Hashtag Ed still lives. Ed still lives. Um, manifest the Ed's manifesto lives. Also, people say Ed's manifesto. Ed's manifesto olives or still <laughs> li- no, no, still lives. Um, the posting videos of the Ukrainian conflict. I've always posted videos of the Ukrainian conflict with the mindset of look at how these people are fighting for themselves. Yeah. A big aspect of what I show people is how to be dangerously independent yeah. and self-reliant. Yeah. And the aspect of danger always has to be there. Yeah. You know, why? You know, a good man that is harmless is no good to anybody. Right. You know, you want a dangerous man that has that shit under control. Yeah. You know, that's who you want. Um, yeah. Going out there yourself. Uh Obviously, this isn't a money-making, <laughs> money-making aspect. I'm still in the hole. <laughs> you know? And going out there yourself to this conflict zone to arm these people with knowledge yeah. and figuring things out for them as far as, oh, well, I could do this if I was here. Yeah. 
uh, you left a lot of your gear behind, basically. You fucking gave some of that gear yeah, away as, I, as you were fucking leaving. I as gave well. everything I could. Um, it was ironic, too, because the second time I went into Ukraine, they lost my luggage at Amsterdam. Yeah. So I waited for three days in Poland, and I was finally like, fuck it. Yeah. We go to war with what we have. Yep. And I dropped into Ukraine, walked across the border with a hobo tactical pen. A single tourniquet and a hobo tactical pen. It's a it's a, a penetrator. It's a uh, it's a a uh, mechanic. No, it's a zebra pen. Yeah, it's a zebra pen, and somebody that has a company called Hobo Tactical. Yeah. Shout out to Hobo Tactical. Yeah, he's the best. Uh, sells these angled, angled bezels that you can put on the tip of one of those pens. Will make them into troll cars. Basically, yeah, yeah it'll work. It'll work. So my second time into Ukraine, that's all. I went <laughs> across the pen. border with that, a single plate in my backpack, because uh, I always carry soft armor in my bag. Just, I don't want to get shot in the back, but if yep. I'm going to get shot, I'd rather get shot on a plate. A uh, couple notebooks, no, nothing. And yeah. Ukraine provides. provides. I yeah. felt like a child of Ukraine. And that, yeah. that became kind of the thing of, like, I'd be like, well, I'm Mexican. They're like, no, you're uh, Ukrainian you're, you're, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're here on this side? Yeah. Those motherfuckers are shooting, so it's all of us. Because that was the thing. Like, you see the first, a lot of the, the I tried to teach in a Hawaiian t-shirt. I wasn't, a, I wasn't, didn't go there to be a combatant. You don't want to wear the, uh, all the camo? I didn't. <laughs> I, you know, when I left the Marines, I, I kind of told myself, like, I'm never putting on a uniform again. It's it. It's over. I'm not a, I'm not a Marine anymore. Like, I'm not an active combatant yeah. anymore. Yeah. I'm this but i got in and they handed me a uniform and it was like okay now i'm now i'm really in it you're in it i put it back in and it changed putting a uniform back on changed yeah. the, the 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 fact that you're wearing what the people around you are wearing and you're like all in on it. Mm-hmm. that that aspect that was must it. be like weird and mind-blowing it was weird i was i was part of them so you're uh you're out there what are the nights like out there <laughs> What are the night like? You, you you go out there, you so spend all these times with these people that are coming in and out of a war zone. It was it was a lot closer to this. We'd yeah. be sitting in bunkers, um, wet, and um, and uh, sitting around candles, eating yeah. pig fat. Uh, solo was yeah. a specialty. They'd always bring it out. They'd be yeah. like, oh, your guest, you get solo. It's the worst. I can't do it. I'm sorry, guys. What, 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 can you describe it for people? That it's, raw, it's like raw pig fat. It's, it's lard. It's lard. They yeah. spread it on their bread, and it's great. Like, I get it. It's exactly what you need. It's fucking, it's calories. Yeah. It's fucking nutrition. Yeah. It's fucking It's whatever. great. I think they have a way of seasoning it or, like, making it so it's good, but yeah. it's, I couldn't do it. I'm like, just give me soup, tea. I'm good. I lost 20 pounds in Ukraine. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like you can go to Circle K nearby no. and just fucking get some snacks. That's what they brought. They're like, this is what you get. And it was great. Um, no, but also, like, um, a lot of the people doing good work over there, uh, Noram sent me, Noram, uh, Milan over at Noram, he's the, C- the CEO over there. He found out that I was back with nothing, and he sent me a really good knife yeah. and a uniform, his combat hoodie. Yeah. And I, he That's, provided. He's yeah. like, yeah, you're doing good work. Here you go. That dude hooked it up. He sent boxes of, of uniforms, really good uniforms that breathe and allow... So we know you're out there fighting, you get wet. You're living in your... It's you're so, living yeah. in your, If you yeah. never lived in your fucking clothes... Yeah, it can get you, bad. You, you, it can get bad. And also, it makes you really invest in quality. Yeah, his company stepped up and just started sending everything they had over there. It's fantastic. The... The, uh... The death out there. It's everywhere. It's it's it's, it's everywhere. It's not, and it's... You know, I, I know a little bit about young death. 
are basically young people dying and how that kind of like it's irreplaceable it doesn't matter who you are if it's a a perceived enemy if it's if it's one of yours if it's one of theirs a young dude dying violently out there because of the decisions of older people you know on the top yeah. they want to take and move and rearrange the map yeah um what is that like is it uh is is it is it numb out there is it still hurting when people like fall out there yeah it's everyone's a brother everyone's tight out there they're so tight out there they're they're doing it spartan style yeah. once you're in you're sleeping with your brothers you're there that's it the the uh the hero of Ukraine tag you hear a lot you know these people dying and they you die and you become a hero of Ukraine yeah. is that is that is that what they call it it's all of them they're how can man die better better right than for the 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 temples and the women and the land there's no better reason to die there's no good reason to die but there's no better reason than that these are men who are fighting for everyone in Ukraine everyone is a family out there The yeah, the, the, uh, I talked to this, a little bit about this as far as you know, my own journey, my own life journey, what I'm after. I said, good death. Yeah. yeah. When I say a good death, I mean, man. Uh, when I was 25, I thought I was not going to live to see live to see 30, and I had this vision. You know, when I when I was growing up, and I joined the government service. Yeah. Um, my, most of my friends were punk rock kids. Yeah. And there was a song by Dos Minutos, the punk rock song yeah. from an Argentinian band. And it was about a, uh, a guy that would hang out with him, punk rock kid that would hang out with him, and then he joined the federal police. And the song's about him selling out, basically. Yeah. And they're mocking him, saying that you forgot about fighting on the weekends with us yeah. uh, at the soccer state at the yeah. soccer games and a bullet at night on the street is waiting for you right and my friends would you know it's you know mocking my my life choice yeah, and would, yeah. would sing that to me and i always had this vision of this random bullet out there somewhere being either made or stored somewhere or or just gathering dust in a in a magazine and yeah. some plate carrier in the back of a car somewhere. Yeah. Just waiting for me. Yeah. And you know, knock on wood, it uh, didn't find me. Yeah. Or I thought like I've looked for it, like all the horrible shit, all the all the risky jobs. I raised my hand to go out there and try and figure that out for myself. Just couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh. But the the whole aspect of not expecting to get to yeah. to, to 30. And now you're, you you move past 30, and you're like, what's a good death now? For, yeah. me? for me, a good death was uh, dying for a cause, something that mattered. Yeah. And most of the causes that I was fighting for, like I wasn't fighting for the government, I was fighting for the people that were with me. Yeah, you know? that's it. The man to the left and the right. Yeah. It's a uh, great quote by Hercules, Horatio, Horatio at the Bridge. Thinking is how can man die better than for the ashes of his father, than for the temples of his gods? Yeah, 
for the mother of the children. Something like that. Yeah. And it's like, I heard that. It's, it's a story about a man who's going to hold the bridge. That's the last line yeah. between an invading army and yeah. his home. And they have to blow the bridge. He's got to hold it long enough they can blow it. Do you think, uh, you know, I hear a lot of anti-violent, anti-war rhetoric as well. You know, for, for people that are on a, on a front line like yeah. that, you, you were out there. You saw what it was. Yeah. Uh, you saw these people not fighting for oil or for or fighting to protect the interest of whatever in a foreign land and then coming back. These people are fighting amongst their home. Yeah. Um, the good death aspect of it, was it... Uh, was it there? Was it present? Did you see these people no. thinking they were dying needlessly for nothing? I don't think any of these Ukrainians were going to die. They didn't think so either. They were going to win. Yeah. They live on. That's why. Um, glory to the heroes. Glory to Ukraine. No one's... We have a little bit of a romanticized aspect to death sometimes. I think dying for a good reason. But living for a good reason is what they're out there for. Yeah. They're fighting to live. They're fighting to live their lives, and that's why they're out there fighting. Death is terrible, but you saw, I saw a lot coming off the lines wounded and just happy to be alive and ready to go back out there. We had guys that would any, nowadays would get three purple hearts because they've been shot multiple times. Yeah. They've been hit by indirect fire. We honestly don't get that many bullet wounds coming back. Yeah. A lot of it is uh, shrapnel, TBIs, that sort of thing that's causing a lot of issues yeah. out there. That's where they're being used. Yeah, you uh, you go out there, and I'm in contact. You know, uh, messages, random messages. Also check in on you yeah, with yeah. your. Is he alive? Yeah, he's he's out there somewhere. Still out there. Where there, uh, you know, there's moments where you don't have any communication. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We go radio silent at night. Um, Mike thought that the Russians were tracking me because we had to move every night. Because wherever we were, when we'd go out during the day, that place would get bombed. The, phone, the phones or somebody watching Something. you from afar. So, yeah, a lot of uh, Faraday bags. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. phones just off. Um, yeah. That's why I don't have that many pictures and videos. I don't have that much. Yeah. Um, because I mostly just kept my phone in a bag. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a security risk. Yeah. Drones out there. I didn't see any. But that's like, that's it's like, huge. it's a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, on both sides. It's not just the Ukrainians utilizing drones. No, it's both sides. It's both sides. Um, oh, that was the weird part. We got a, we, one of the, the units took us to the back, and they had just lots of drones. And they're like, hey, do you know what these are? I was like, I don't know. They're drones. Just a, bunch, like, of, just a bunch of civilian grade drones that yeah, they had. In and they're like, we don't know how to use them. They would just, yeah, I, I, I saw a lot of uh, groups sending drones out there, as, but, they, but no training, though. I don't know how to use a drone. Yeah, and they'd but, be like, can you find us someone who does? I'm like, we can look it up. Yeah. Um, but it's secondhand experience. Um, what we did end up doing was sometimes taking drones and taking them to the black market dealers and trading them for weapons. Yeah. Because the black market dealers wanted them. <laughs> yeah. And we, they had all that's, the weapons. That's, that's another aspect of it that has, that's happened recently. A lot of uh, black market arms dealing and procuring and people, you know, taking some of these uh, capabilities and technologies that are being dumped on this battlefield, specifically things that fire rockets that are worth yeah. some money, kind of ending up on the black market. Yeah. Uh, do free enterprise, uh, private entities moving around out there. Um, 
how do you know who's on your side and who's not? Like, is everybody is does everybody just like how was that? Like, I, I can imagine it's a very confusing battlefield. Everyone's on their own side. That's it. So it's it's just social engineering at its best. Who has what I need? Who has what they need? Yeah. And you start trading. There's a famous Mexican story. The boy who wanted a drum. Do you know this one? Mom used to tell it to me. It's a long story. But it's basically about this boy who wanted a drum. And he's poor. His mom gives him a stick. And it's like, hey, this is all we can afford. He goes out with a stick. He finds a woman who needs to make a fire. Gives it to her. She, in return, gives him a piece of bread that she cooked on the fire. He finds a woman with a baby crying. Gives the baby the piece of bread. And they give him a joke, uh, coat. Yeah. He takes the coat and gives it to a naked man he finds under a bridge who had just been robbed. That naked man is like, I have a, a stable of horses. Please take a horse. And he takes the horse and he runs into the prince's wedding party who's getting married that day. And they have no horse to pull the carriage. So he gives the, the horse the prince. Yeah. The prince says, anything in my kingdom you can have. You've saved my wedding. What would you like? And the boy looks at the band and says, I've always that, wanted a drum. Give me that drum. And he takes the, the drum and runs home before someone else needs a That's drum. It's a beautiful story. It's a great story. It's, it's one that stuck story. with me of like, yeah. I would tell this to my Marines at night. We'd sit around yeah. and we'd do little campfire stories. I'd be like, boy, who wanted a drum? And I would tell him, it's like, if you need a drum, it's your job. I can't give you the drum. You have to, you have to figure out how to get it. But I can give you a stick. Yeah. And so that became a thing. I'd get my Marines coming up and be like, we need to do this. I'd be like, and I'd be like, I don't know. And they'd be like, what's my stick? Yeah. This is what I got. You can have this. <laughs> Go find yourself the drum. Yeah. The that's an intro, that's a I never heard that story, but it's a beautiful story. The the aspect of coming like needing something or wanting something for yourself and not being able to get to it quickly or if, or without a lot of hassle yeah. or problems, you yeah. know. That's shit's not worth it, you know. That's it, but how bad do you want it? Yeah. I mean, uh Another weird memory I have with you. I'm, uh, I'm on. I'm on top of a. We're on this rooftop. Somewhere. Connecticut again. Uh, yeah. We did a highly unoffended yeah. podcast. We're standing on this roof. It's raining. It's cold as shit. And I'm enjoying a cigar. Yeah, as we do. As we do, uh, on this rooftop, and I'm just thinking about how wild it is that I'm there with you and all the bullshit that i had to go through in my life to get to that moment in the rain on a roof freezing our asses off but it's uh an indulgence because i need to smoke my cigar vince that's what we do that's what we do when we get together nothing will stop us the the moment uh the moment where you're out there and you have to leave um you know this there's uh i don't know again for not everybody's wired the same, but for me, the hardest part of the job that I used to do was leaving, which is fucking wild to say because I did very difficult stuff. And by far the most hard thing I had to do was leave. And not because of the power it had or the influence or the things that I could do or the fact that I could carry around all this fucking equipment and hardware or that I was in charge of shit. It was because I was going to step out of a fight and the people that were with me day and night suffered, bled, cried, 
went to all these funeral services for all the people we had to bury were now going to be strangers to me because I think it happens in a lot of military units and government units and even the police. Or once you retire, once you leave that, you're kind of like out of the loop. Yeah. And people are going to be busy in their jobs and you're going to be a memory. And it doesn't matter how much you want to reach out, stay in touch. Uh, the world's going to go on. The war's going to go on. The fighting's going to go on. And you're going to be out of it. You're out of it. Yeah. Now, what's it like for you when you're looking for this fight? You know, because you were probably looking for a fight like most of us have. You're out there uh, pouring your heart and soul into showing them how to make people not die needlessly. Maybe showing them how to make somebody die <laughs> for their purpose. Uh, but uh, you're kind of like spending nights out there in the cold with them, sharing stories, uh, sharing pictures of maybe from back home, a little bit of that. Uh, anecdotes, being cold with them, suffering. And now all of a sudden... Well, I gotta go. What's that like? It sucks, man. I um, it's such a change, leaving, crossing that border, seeing everyone still going back in to fight, passing by, just bombed out tanks on the side of the road, and the white noise. I got, I got onto the plane, um, and I fly United all the time. So I get an automatic upgrade. I'm sitting there in first class um, with all my shit just because. And I'm, I get a text on my phone, and it's uh, one of the units I was with, and they're like, hey, do you remember Frank? Yeah, I remember Frank. 18-year-old kid, tall, skinny. Yeah. Right? Tell us about Frank before you tell us what happened. Nah, he's just he's he's a kid. Skinny. Kid. First, never, never been in a fight, never been in anything. Um, and he, he joined to help. Yeah. Um, he's a Ukrainian, and uh, he uh, the hole next to him got bombed. I was like, oh, don't do this to me. Yeah. He jumped in and applied four tourniquets, yeah. all to legs, and saved two lives. Never would have had medical training without it. And dude, just, I was sitting there on the plane just fucking crying. It was just, he, he was waiting for his opportunity and it was, to matter. It was, I almost got off the plane. Yeah. Like, real, I almost, like... My job gave me two months off. I'll never be able to thank them enough. I, I'm with a really good team of five guys for my EP work, and they all stepped up. They're like, we'll cover Vince's shifts. We'll yeah. cover his work. We'll step up. We kind of have it set up so that someone can always have a time off. Yeah. Families, if whatever's need, going yeah, on. Emergency. They also like, no one else will take time off for these two months. The first month, because I, I did my first month, I went back. My manager sent me. I rolled right into work the next day. Like, I took as much time as I could. He's like, I need you here on this day. You yeah. have to work. Yeah. We need all hands on deck. Yeah, I'll be back. Got off the plane when I think I spent four hours at home with my girl. And yeah. she drove me to work because I was so tired. Um, and I'm like, I don't think I'll be able to drive home. What's, uh, what's coming home like? Oh, it's weird because I work in a tech office. <laughs> I work in a tech office and no so one has any there's idea. The, there's no, nothing's bombed out. There's, yeah. no, there's nobody uh, eating a pig fat on bread. It's so loud, you know. Yeah. Playing Chris, uh, playing music, playing Beyonce yeah. over the speakers, and it's yeah. like well, my manager sat me down and he he like tell me about it, and I did. And as soon as I was done talking, he's like, "So when are you going back?" I was like, "How'd you know? How'd you know I was gonna ask?" And he's like, "I can see it." Yeah. So he's like, "We'll make it work." They all banded together. I worked for a month, and they sent me right back. Yeah. It was it was great. Yeah. It was yeah. just, and even then, like even then, I I, not, I asked him. I'm like, 
There's more. I yeah. was praying that this would be over by Christmas. Yeah. But it's, it's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's still going. The What's your girl tell you when you get back? She's happy I'm home. That's one of my rules. But she knows. Like, my heart's there. And it's hard when you know you're doing good work. You know it's saving lives. Yeah, it, you, when, once, I mean, for me, uh, those that can't do teach. Yeah. And it sucks. Because yeah. I don't want to fucking go do shit. Think I, think, I think I still have a fight in me. I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, 40. I, I have one person I'm living for, which is my kid. That makes me think about stuff, you know. It's vul- it's vulnerability. My heart is outside of my chest, walking around somewhere. Um, the coming back from some of that, and you know, I, I ask about your girl because you know she is somebody that's waiting for you. Yeah. Right. And it's, that's a uh, that is something that you are risking going going out there and doing some of this type of stuff. The uh, the but, yeah. Coming back home, yeah, and accepting it as I don't know, like uh, for me, it's a uh, for me, it's always been, and we've talked about this a yeah. lot. I don't feel deserving of coming feels home. Wrong. It feels wrong, and and it feels so wrong for me that I've been on the run for about fucking five years, almost yeah. I think, or something like that, uh, where I'm not, you know, in a single place for more than a few days. Um, Warm bed, your girl coming back, being quiet, and then a world away, it's still going on. A weekend away. Yeah. It's not, that's the crazy thing. Yeah, it's, it's a weekend I flight. could hop on a plane in and San Diego. There. And get there. And get there, 15 hour flight. Eight hours to get from Warsaw yeah. to the border. You know, yeah. six, eight hours. Take a bus in. And from there, someone would pick me up. And for people that don't understand, you're not, you're not thinking about, I'm going to go help Zelensky. And his and his and the Ukrainian uh, foreign policy that they're that you're not thinking about any of that. You're just going off there to the guys that you were with. Yeah, they're still out there. They're fighting. still out there you're fighting. Still, so the the groups that I worked with, I just got word to to release this because I, I try to keep it kind of tight, which is why I don't post that much. I, I try not. I try to keep things vague, so that because these guys are still working. This is an ongoing war, but the guys that I trained, we trained a couple thousand soldiers in uh, Kharkiv, they've pushed 250 kilometers back. That's what took back Kharkiv. Yeah. I know that the teams that we worked with are still pushing. Yeah. And the great thing is that I told them, what I'm teaching you now, you teach every fucking yeah. person you yeah. meet. You can, I, told, I would open up my class. I'd tell them, like, you're, you're going to kill. <laughs> you're going to kill soldiers. Yeah. Chances are you won't remember the soldiers you kill. What you will remember is if you lose one friend. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna stick with. To you. something you could do. I'm here to keep you from remembering that face every night when you try to go to sleep. Uh, you having gone out there, knowing and hearing things. What do you think this uh, these next two few months are gonna mean for the Ukrainians? They're gonna keep pushing. Yeah. They're not gonna stop. They're taking it all back. Whatever it takes. The country will not give up on itself, which is amazing. Which is leads to people fearing that the Russians are going to cut their losses and this whole threat of a tactical nuke of a, some sort being detonated. Is, be, that, is, that, is that something that's on people's minds out there or is it something we only see on, on, on online when we look at some of the people 
spinning this war? It's, is that an actual worry that they have? That, I didn't hear about it out there. It's one of those things that like it's yeah. Once it's a problem, it's, it's gonna all of a sudden it's not a problem. Yeah. You don't have to worry about anything ever again. As far as the people fighting on the Russian side, what what, uh, what did you get? Were they, uh, you know, the Chechens are out there. The uh, Wagner group is out there. The, the 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 Russian SF guys, FSB people are out there. Apparently, uh, new conscripts coming into this war that have. It looked like they should be in a retirement home and not in not in a war war, war zone. Like, what, what was what was some of the talk as far as them as far as an enemy? You know, not to give them too much credit, but any combatant, anyone carrying a gun out there, is someone to be feared. Yeah, I think one of the worst things we can do is, um, you know, make fun of the enemy or like uh, make jokes about them. Yeah, dehumanize them. They've all got guns. They yeah. all can shoot. Um, it is a battlefield out there. I think right now I'm hearing reports of roughly in uh, some of the heaviest fightings, uh, they're, they're, each side is taking 200 to 400 casualties a day. Yeah. It's just dead people, yeah. man. Yeah. It's just people dying yeah. for land, for their families, for, for a fight. For a country that's, you know. That's not supporting them. I, I've seen a lot of the videos of Russian soldiers going home and losing limbs and getting a, a card. Yeah. Hey, thank you for your service. Yeah, and the uh, the apparent uh, strength of the Russian army has now been kind of la laid bare as far as what it actually is. No, there's no more bluffing around it. The the regular army is whatever for yeah. the most part, but Wagner Group is still causing some trouble. Yeah. They're not someone you want to get into a building with. Yeah, and that's where they're at right now. Um, but I've seen a lot of casualties coming back from Wagner Group. Yeah. Which is good, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah, everybody's a villain in somebody else's Everyone's story. Everyone's a villain. <laughs> um, are you going back? We'll see. Um, we'll see if I can get the time off work, if I can take out another credit card. <laughs> I'll go. Uh, it's been rough on my credit, but it was worth it. If people are looking for ways of supporting this, yeah. how, how do you? Like, I've, I've, a lot of my friends have that are knowledgeable and have a skill set and don't have the constraints that I do. Yeah. Uh, have gone out there and have done their thing. Uh, a lot of people ask me like, what if we're, who do I donate to? Like, who should I support? Yeah. Who, who do you uh, off the top of your head or who you recommend people kind of support to? So this is the crazy part that, um, I didn't see a lot of the nonprofits out of the front. Um, I think the people doing the most work that are a big corporation would be dark horse vets. They're doing amazing work out there. They've got a great reputation. They're doing amazing things. Dark, dark horse. Dark horse vets. Vets. Um, I have a friend whose his emergency contact on his phone is dark horse vets. Okay. He's I'll, like, don't call my family. They can't do anything. Well, uh, well, I'll I'll, I'll post a, yeah. a link to them so people can yeah, kind of like. Um, remote medic, on Instagram is doing some great work. Okay. The thing is, just like me, this war was kind of funded by Instagram. Like yeah. it was guys like me. Like I don't have an NGO. You don't get a tax write off if you give me money. Yeah. But um. I'm going out there. I'm booking a flight and taking as much medical equipment as I can, and everything goes into Ukraine. Grassroots, son of social a, media, son of a bitch. Sixty nine. <laughs> it's Mike. He is one of the best dudes I met. He would we would just keep filling up his. Um, he would find corporations that said, "Hey, we're gonna donate." He'd be like, "Where? Where is it? Yeah. Oh, it's stuck in a warehouse in Poland." All right, I'm sending someone to the warehouse. Oh, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's coming right now with a truck. We're taking everything. making shit happen. Yeah, and he was just 
getting things. So Son of a Bitch 69 is a great dude to talk to about who to help. Um, Remote Medic is great. He's working out in Odessa, and he's working with a lot of the churches and stuff out there to send out supplies. He's been organizing and doing great stuff. Where do you see this? It's hard to kill a nation like that. It's They will uh, live on. They're yeah. fantastic. They won't give up. A lot of people were betting on the winter, and what I've seen recently has been amassing of Russian troops on the on the on the front line, a cohesive front line being formed, tactical retreats. And again, I'm not I just I just watch a lot of history channel. <laughs> but uh what I see uh, what I see in the on the Russian side is they are going to put all the pressure they can on infrastructure in the Ukraine because yeah. they don't want to level the Ukraine. They want the Ukraine proper. So that's another dude who's doing God's work, God's work on a whole nother level is, I think it's Bring Me the Swampy. Babe, can you look that up? It's Swampy. He's doing EOD work out there. Okay. That's crazy. It's crazy. He gets, so he's busy constantly. He's constantly, yeah. his team's constantly getting bombed. They've lost multiple vehicles um, to shellings, but he's out there because a lot of the shit out there is booby trapped. Yeah. And we'll see the Ukrainian soldiers what, what, what are they booby trapping? Um, ammo boxes, grenades, leaving grenades. Um, they were going through houses at one point, uh, taking towns back, and they were finding a grenade with the pin pulled under someone's mattress Yeah. in a baby crib. Yeah. Just waiting for f the family to come back. And what's the first thing you're going to do is make the bed. Yeah. 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 So I think, it, babe, did you find it? Bring, bring, bring me the swamp. Okay. Bring me yeah. the swampy. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic. He's taking donations, and he is running teams out there and teaching them how to do EOD work. That's the, huge. The the West is kind of waning on its support. You can see it, uh, you know, we shot our, the West shot itself in the foot with all this green, uh, green energy, renewable stuff. And now yeah. we are enslaved to petroleum and natural gas and yep. all this stuff that you can see that happening it's demoralizing and i can see that kind of like weighing on war, the war effort out there we ran into gas shortages out there they were starting to ration gas which made it harder to move across the country the i don't know my, my worry is that eventually everybody's going to forget about it you know you're not going to see that on the news anymore i mean that's part of the infrastructure taxes not having electricity at night not having running water all of a sudden, people are taking less videos on their phones. Yeah. The information's not getting passed around. Yeah. The war is still going on. It doesn't matter that you're not seeing the viralness of the videos that we had. I make it a point to share conflict videos of that war constantly on my social media, even though it fucking gets to be bad. But uh, for people wanting to kind of keep track of it on, on news agency sources, uh, do you have any any of that? It's hard, man. It keeps going away. It's hard to tell. Um, I follow a lot of Telegram channels yeah. that just post videos. Um, they're hard to find the right ones. It's hard to know. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share some links when, yeah, you, yeah. when you have we'll, them for me. We'll send some links. Um, it is. It is a weird feeling to kind of like get involved in a fight like that, you know, somewhere else. And then having a dog in that fight now, a weird spiritual dog in that fight. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, it is kind of the, like, it is an opportunity for people out there that have never been in a fight, that have never had a cause, 
that have never seen something like that, a nation fighting for itself. Yeah. You know, it's an opportunity for people. I, a lot of people are looking at it as that, I guess. And a lot of people have died. Uh, foreign fighters have died out there. Foreign fighters have died. And uh, people have come back uh, changed, mangled, and it's, 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 it's a war. I, I think it, it's, it is the lack of resources that's getting them, though. We, um, we'd, the territorial defense force out there is what's keeping it alive. Yeah. But we'd, we'd go past the lines, be 30, 40, 50-year-old dudes in a line. We'd f- find five guys in a hole. Hey, how are you guys doing? What do you guys have here? Two grenades and one rifle between five guys. And it'd be like, what? And they'd hold the line. What, yeah. What's out there? Oh, the Russians have been driving by with a, with a tank. Damn. And their big thing is, we called it, we made a joke. We're like, we're doing lost and found for the Russians. Because they keep losing weapons and equipment because they're running away or just not around to collect. We'd pick it up and uh, we'd return it one bullet at a time. Uh, when, when I got into Kharkiv and they handed me a rifle. Because I was not planning to carry a rifle. Yeah. And it finally got to the point where it's like carry a rifle. Yeah, Karen. They, what'd, you, what'd you get? They gave me an AK-47, and that's um, enough. And I was like, "Oh, thank you. Where, where'd this come from?" They're like, "We pulled it off of the Russian yesterday." Just check those rounds. You don't want any. Yeah. You don't want any of those booby trap rounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was. They're using everything they can, yeah. and it's Ukraine's providing. Yeah. They're figuring it out. Ukraine is figuring it out, but it's hard. The tourniquets there. It's there behind because it's all uh trial and error it is it is definitely something that's going to define our you know history as a as a world as a planet right now it's, it's, even it's everything's everything's closer everything's you can see it on social media every day it's like everything's like near it's changing what makes a soldier what makes a medic yeah because now it's not like we're not they're not defined by their equipment out there they're yeah. defined by their heart yeah and they've got so much heart yeah. That they're making this equipment work. It's amazing. Uh, well, um, fucking amazing work you're doing. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, what you're doing, yeah. what's going on, where can they find you? I'm Way of the Loser on Instagram. Um, I'm there. I respond to everything I can. I'll help out. If you want to make donations, I'll put you in the right, give you the right people. Um, the people that I work with are very upfront about everything and you went out there to verify yeah and i seen it <laughs> um, seen remote it medic has been collecting uh cold weather gear people are out there fighting in vans yeah, yeah. flip-flops you yeah. know and, and it's fucking soaked cold. soaked up to their knees no cold weather gear yeah and they're doing great they're still fighting um way of the loser on instagram yeah, that's if me. people want to find you yeah um, Son of a bitch, sixty nine on Instagram for Mike. Mike is the guy to talk to. Okay. Um, he'll make things happen. The you do you're doing great work. Uh, you're providing an interesting and amazing example for some people yeah. out there. Even myself, I've learned a lot from you as well. Um, last time we were together, we smoked a cigar, chilled out a bit, talked about stuff. Told you, hey, next time let's have a conversation on camera. So yeah. here we are. We're here. Um, the I meet a lot of people out there. Uh, some of them that I've met have come through as students and uh, have become friends in cadre and people that help me out with things. So you've shown me a lot, specifically this. Uh, you've uh, as my moniker is stillness is death. Yeah. You know I can't stand stand still. I'm always running. Uh, but you've made me sit with myself a few times when it's been really hard. So thank you for the. Uh, lessons on stillness um 
Thank you for coming out here and doing this for us. Thanks uh, for having me, brother. You're about to experience uh, some of my New York steak tacos. Hey. We're gonna. We're, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make some for you and your girl. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for people. You know, I, I don't do that a lot for any for a lot of people. I think you you, you kind of earned it. Um, <laughs> That's all you have to do, right? Go to Warzone. Yeah, yeah go to Warzone. Yeah. Do a bunch of weird influential yeah. shit and just fucking figure shit out. Yeah. That's this is all it takes. So if anybody wants some, you know what to do. Uh, thank you so much for coming out and doing Pleasure, this, uh, having this conversation, and. Um, Thank you for the inspiration as well. Thank you for keeping the conversation going. Um, people need to keep talking about it. People need to keep posting. It's rough that it's getting banned. Yeah. The information needs to keep being spread, and we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep making things happen until the war's over. If you're out there and you're listening to this, you are the resistance. <laughs> uh, thank you the for coming against out. against the wall. <laughs> thank you for coming out, man. Yeah, my pleasure, bro. Right. <laughs>